Rob, episode 135, and boy, do we have a show for everyone today. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler warning, and spoiler alert if you have not seen the latest Spider-Man movie that came out this past uh, week, weekend. Um, Fantastic film, and you should go see it before you listen to this. Um, but this is going to be an awesome podcast. We've been looking forward to this for forever. Spider-Man No Way Home. We're going to go deep dive into it. Really talk about every possible thing you can imagine about this movie. So if you love Spider-Man, you love Marvel, buckle up. This is going to be awesome. And of course, I'm joined by Peter Gonzalez to do this. Peter, how are you, my friend? Peter uh, Peter 4, I guess is what we're going to have to call so you Peter for this four, episode. Yeah. Peter 4 would be uh, a good way to put it. Um... I mean, I don't think I'd ever heard my name said so many times. So many. And I, I was living for it. I was like, let's just keep going. I, it really helped me like my name even more, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I'm it, doing it. A, it was a hype train for sure for people named Peter, that movie. Um, so this is the last chance if you are listening. Spoilers. We are going to spoil the movie. Uh, it's not fun to talk about movies like non-spoiler warning. I don't get why people do that. Because you can't really even talk about the movie. So if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to get it spoiled, get your ass on out of here. And me and Peter, we're going to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home in three, two, one. All right, Peter, before we get to the scene-by-scene breakdown, I mean, Toby and Andrew. They were in the fucking movie. We knew it. We knew it. We knew it. And uh, it was awesome. It was so cool. And it was even, I and mean, it was weird because, like, we knew it was coming, but it still delivered. It delivered in the emotions. It delivered in the like, getting teary-eyed. It delivered in just like the chills. Everything was there, even though we all knew knew this was coming. So I guess, in a sense, it made sense that they held them off from being in the trailer, in the poster. So smart, looking because back because it. it really delivered. I mean, the theaters erupted with with applause and cheering when that happened. Like. It was yeah. moments of, like, just, yeah, I can't even describe it. And what was so great about it, it was not only did we get the fan service of getting them in this movie, I thought they all got, like, enough room and time to really, like, be their own different type of Spider-Man. I know that sounds weird, but, like, we got to see them all, like, shine in this movie. They weren't just thrown in. And um, well, we're going to get to this later, but the Andrew Garfield hype train... As two people who have a ton of stock in Andrew Garfield, we bought it when it was at its low of lows. We've always been in on Andrew Garfield, you and I. We have. You can listen to the tapes. <laughs> it's there. Everyone it's now there. wants stock of Andrew Garfield. And Peter and I, we have a bunch of it. We're not selling. Andrew Garfield really stood out in this movie, don't you think? He, I think more so than Toby, I feel like he just really used every moment to really remind us why he was such a good in his so good in his movies i mean granted his movies were not perfect but him as spider-man makes so much sense so good it makes so much sense in the multiverse of it all also because he's not exactly tom holland and it showed it showed two very different people it showed two very different vibes and it just reminded again why he worked as spider-man and it, when we get to it later in the podcast, if his future is open in the MCU, that would be amazing to see where we can mm-hmm. kind of deal with things in different ways that make sense now. Where before it was like, mm, can you really do different versions at the same time? But now after this movie, the possibilities are endless. And I would, they, and I mean, yeah, are. we've been ride or die for Andrew, so we and can he, say that. 
and, and Peter Four, I guess is what I'll call you for this. Um, Andrew, he probably had like, I guess the most pressure might not be the best way to say it, but the most to prove of any of the actors returning to the Spider-Man franchise for like from the other movies, Andrew Garfield really had the most to prove in this movie to win people back. Cause you mentioned how it, he was probably better than Toby Maguire, which I would agree. But the thing with Toby is Toby just had to like stand there and it's like, holy shit, it's Toby Maguire. Cause he didn't need to prove anything. We all loved him and knew it. And just seeing him was going to give us that nostalgia and make us love it automatically. Andrew had some work to do. I mean, I was stoked when I saw him. I know you were, but like for some people, they think of him as the canceled Spider-Man, the Spider-Man that like sucked and they canceled it. And so he had a lot of things to prove. And I thought he did a great job of that. And we'll obviously dive deep into that. But um, should we get into the scene by scene breakdown here, Peter? Let's go for it. Um, yeah, let's do it. This is uh, I do want to point out one film. thing, though, about the scene as we go through scene by scene. This movie is on the longer side, but it never felt like it dragged. Like it just felt like it, like literally the movie ends. You're done. And you're like, I want to go see it again. Like it, it just goes by so quickly. Mm-hmm. And without it feeling like it uh, glances over stuff, you know, yeah, like a fast pace. But it felt for the most part, there's only like one or two complaints I have about the movie. And they're so minor that it doesn't really matter. But we will get to that. We're a fair podcast. Um, but yeah, the, the pacing of such a long movie, I mean, compared to a- Avengers Endgame, the parts of Endgame are slow. They're I wrong. love Endgame. And game is great, but there's some very slow parts and there does not feel like this movie really has that. And the only part that I think um, maybe has gotten a little criticism is the beginning. But that's only because we've seen it because they released like the trailer with it all in it. That's the only reason I think people have like uh, qualms with that. But scene by scene breakdown, um, we're going to open at It opens right at the end of Far From Home. So MJ and our Peter Parker, Tom Holland, they flee through the streets and sewers back to Aunt May's apartment. On their way, we see Daily Bugle ads, Rogers the Musical from Hawkeye, billboards throughout New York. Um, When MJ and Peter are trying to get away, I thought it was really funny. Like, basically, I would describe this woman as a Karen. She, like, grabs Spider-Man, and then Spider-Man gets her hand off him, and she's like, he hit me, he hit me, he hit me, which I thought was... um. It was a funny comment on today's society of how some people are with celebrities and just kind of wanting to get their name out there. Um, we, though, when they get back to, or actually, Peter, what did you think about that initial chase that basically ends with them getting back to May's apartment? I think that initial chase really did a great job of blending the three different styles of um, cinematography of the Spider-Man films. Like, it was very... There were moments when it was wider shots, but then also when it was super close in on them swinging and like from his perspective. And it did a really good job of pulling you into that situation in a way that was, I think, fresh for a Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. It wasn't like something we'd seen, but also had seen in other Spider-Men. So I really liked that. Mm-hmm. I liked how Rogers was not in the trailers, but it was added into here, which sort of puts it back into the main timeline that this is happening with hawkeye happening more or less mm-hmm. concurrently so that was kind of rad to see how again the trailers never reveal everything in these movies yeah and i thought what was um really important about this scene is because there's so much ground they have to cover in this movie and so many characters they need to introduce so many new plot points 
they basically got the movie going right away, super fast, picked up right where it left off, very fast pacing to to kind of finish this Mysterio plot out from the last movie. And they had to, if they wanted to make this movie cohesive and make sense, they had to get it on get on the ground running, and that's exactly what they did with this. Um, back at Aunt May's apartment, we see her dumping our boy Happy. He is, he's a mess. Um, and they open the door on MJ and Peter after hearing them come home. Peter is in his boxers, and it's like a similar scene to when Spider-Man Homecoming, when Aunt May opens the door on him and Ned. Uh, we see Aunt May and Mary Jane open, or MJ, uh, meet for the first time. And um, this is basically right before shit is going to hit the fan for Peter, because Happy and May do not know his identity has been revealed yet. And then, boom, it is revealed there are people outside the house. They are eventually taken in and questioned. Is it? Are they questioned by damage control, Peter, right? Yes, yeah, they're taken by damage control. And I like mm-hmm. how it kind of shows the different personalities of what of how peter about how peter was and how ned was and how mj and how i mean like they all had different levels of how they dealt with the um officers that were questioning them and again it it showed their personalities very well and really showed how fleshed out these characters are and how well these movies have done when you've been on them for three movies it really it, it all makes sense in a very organic way yeah, uh, that, that'll be a theme of this uh, podcast for sure. This is just what they accomplished in this trilogy and kind of the slow burn of it. It really pays off in this film. Um, eventually, we find ourselves back at Aunt May's apartment. and They're meeting with a lawyer, and it is Charlie Cox, Matt Murdock, Daredevil from the Netflix shows. Um, he basically tells Peter he is going to get rid of all the the suits against him. Peter should be good, but he's still in the court of public opinion. Um, but he does tell Happy that Happy needs to lawyer up because Stark Industries is getting investigated because of this. Um, during this scene, a really cool thing happens where someone throws a brick through the window at presumably Peter or May or just trying to fuck with them. And Matt Murdock catches it. And Peter's like, how the hell did you do that? And Matt Murdock says he's a really good lawyer, which that scene just made me so, so hyped to have Daredevil in the MCU going forward. And I thought it was cool how it was such a small cameo, but it worked perfectly. I think it was a great way to introduce him in a way that also, as you were mentioning that, I feel like also sets up armor wars in a sense for Happy in a situation with Happy's going to have to lawyer up for what's going on with Stark Industries. Oh, great point. Happening. And then the next spot that we'll see, um, Matt, is in um, She-Hulk, where he'll have a substantial arc, allegedly, So I think it's a nice way to kind of show that we're world building and also bringing in new characters in a way that felt really grounded. And it just, I mean, how exciting is it to see the Netflix? Again, this is the second time we're seeing Netflix being brought into AMCU as a whole, which back in the day when they canceled everything and took everything off, it was like, that's never going to happen. But Marvel is always 10 steps ahead of everything else with what they're doing. They really are. And um, as we go forward with this in this movie, one of the themes or like biggest takeaways from the movie for me is how basically in this movie and over the course of this trilogy, basically this trilogy is an origin story for Spider-Man of how he becomes Spider-Man in the beginning of this. Like all the people who had problems with it, calling him Iron Man Jr., all that sort of shit. 
at the end of this movie, we will see that he very much becomes his own Peter Parker Spider-Man, similar to the comic book, similar to Toby and Andrew. Um, but one of the first uh, moments of this, in my opinion, where we start to see it get stripped away from him, like all his uh, advantages he had because of his time in the MCU compared to other Spider-Men, is so Stark Industries is being um, investigated, right? Mm-hmm. So this basically shuts down all his, like, Iron Spider Edith technology that he has in those suits that have helped him throughout the years. So that's the first thing that they take away from him to bring him more back to the earth, um, which I thought it's cool that they started that this early in the movie. No, totally. And I think when you rewatch the trilogy as a whole, you start to see the level that the, all of that, the weight of that on the character of Peter Parker. And obviously people had issue with that. Some didn't, some did. But it did start to, it was more overshadowing on this character particularly than anybody else in the MCU. So when you have something like this where at the top of the movie you're really bringing him back to base level, it's really allowing, I mean, foreshadowing where the storytelling is going to go without you realizing it until the movie's over. You're like, oh shit, it actually was leading to this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Peter is going to go to high school. And Peter, uh, I'm talking to you, Peter, now. Um, and he's a celebrity. We see Betty Brant reporting on it. Uh, Flash Thompson wrote a book about being best friends with Spider-Man titled Flashpoint, an obvious D- DC reference there for the multiversal Flash film that's coming out later this year. Um, and so we're seeing the effects that the the what Peter's identity being revealed to the public has on them in high school, not just him, MJ and Ned as well. Um, people are just following them in school, taking photos of them. It's weird. They have to go to the roof to get like any moment away from it. And then we start to see the real effects of the court of public opinion and what has happened to these three, especially these two who have been dragged in along with Spider-Man. They get rejected from all their colleges. So talk to me about how these couple scenes, like they show us how it affects them like in their day-to-day lives, the revealing, what did you take away from all this? I think it really, again, spoke to the trilogy as a whole, because if we go back to Homecoming, it's very much a coming-of-age film. And so this just really continued that thread of, you know, they're going through the real-world situations of applying to colleges, and you see them waiting to get each letter, and and they turn out to be denial after denial, and then ultimately it's because of their association with Spider-Man. So again, it really may, it really brings together the whole coming of age, but it's still an MCU film. So, but again, it makes this feel, these movies feel so different than anything else in the MCU because it has got this groundedness to it of like you're dealing with college acceptances, and you're dealing mm-hmm. with how being a hero affects that when the hero's in a negative light. And I think those some of, mm-hmm. those are really good scenes, in all honesty. Like, I really appreciated them. Yeah, and not only are we seeing that for the first time pretty much in the MCU as a viewer, we've never really seen people have to deal with it. We see Peter dealing with it, and we see how he's noticing for the first time really how his actions affect the people around him that he loves. And that's, like, the, the, the sad part about Spider-Man's story in the comics and in the movies is oftentimes he has to be the loner, the lone wolf, because he doesn't want to put the people he loves in danger, because villains will always, if they can't get Spider-Man, they'll go after the person he loves. And so he's starting to learn that lesson in this movie. Um, But Peter, at this point, Peter Parker, he is um, 
he doesn't want to deal with all this shit. He feels bad for his friends, mainly. That is what the guilt of that is what drives him to go to Doctor Strange and ask him to fix all of this, to make people forget he is Spider-Man. Um, in the, It seems, though, like Stephen Strange is pretty down to help him. He has a lot of respect from him from when they saved the universe together. Um, Wong is in this part. He is actually the Sorcerer Supreme now because Strange got snapped which that could be a whole podcast. We'll talk a little bit about it, but holy shit. Um, and the one thing, though, we don't get the line from the trailer where Wong tells Strange not to do it. It, it. That doesn't happen. Wong doesn't really support it, but he also doesn't really care. So um, they go down to the old dungeon at the bottom of the Sanctum, and we finally get to see this spell that has been teased out in all the trailers. Um, Peter, what is your take? And if you have anything to add on, if anything I missed from this scene, but Peter going to Dr. Strange, this whole scene up until the the spell, what do you got for us? I think this was such a critical moment because I think a lot of what we've talked about when we, when we've critiqued the Spider-Man, the Tom Holland is, you know, he does mess things up along the way, but here, I think it really showed that his motivation, again, like you mentioned, is very much, he's more concerned about his friends not being able to get into school not so much him receiving all this negative attention, negative press, more so with the effect it has on everybody else, which I think is something that is this character has done really well. And his motivations for why he does things has been that. And I mean, throughout this movie, you see how that kind of gets manipulated and played, preyed upon. But still, at the end of the day, he wants to help people and he wants to be the one to not have them be affected by his choices and who he is as a person so when he goes to see steven and they have a great interaction i think it was cool to see them interact because you don't really get aside from the avengers movies these kinds of scenes between big heroes together yeah doing situations Mm -hmm. like this so i think that was super rad and again the wong of it all where he's the sorcerer supreme is like this can explain a lot of things but it's very interesting it's a very interesting line that I think will have repercussions in uh, Doctor Strange too. Yeah, I I don't even like begin to like I, there's so much that goes on in this movie that that's one of the things that I'm just like I don't even have enough space in my brain to theorize how that is going to tie in, but I mean that has to play a massive role, right? That's like I don't know. I it's like a big thing to be revealed that Doctor Strange is the sorcerer so supreme. So yeah, it's like, what? what? I guess it makes sense because of the snap, but like, I don't know. I don't know. That, like, that's that a, that's a big why he thing. didn't intervene in WandaVision either, because he wasn't the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, that could be true. Awesome. That could be true. Um, So they're down in this dungeon. Wait, can you repeat that? You buffered out. Oh, I said, anyways, on to the spell. Oh, yeah. So we're on the same page. Uh, they go down to the the bottom of the sanctum. This place is thousands, hundreds of thousands years old. It's kind of hinted at that. Um, and Peter, Strange is doing the spell, but Peter ultimately fucks it up because he keeps like, oh, I want Aunt May to know that I'm uh, Spider-Man. I want uh, Happy. I want Ned. I want MJ. And so the lesson so this fucks up the spell obviously this sends everything to shit but the lesson i take away from this or my take from this is and we get strange telling peter this it's like this is like you want to live double lives and it doesn't it can't work like that peter's 
I guess, necessity or need to involve Aunt May, Ned, and MJ in his life of Spider-Man in this moment when he could have just let them not know. It's heartbreaking when you look back on, like, the effects at the end of this movie, but this is the lesson that Peter learns is, bro, you can't, you you don't stop involving them. Like, and it's, I love Peter Parker, and I, I'm not like, it's just like, Dude, like you need to learn this fucking lesson because that's ridiculous that you have to drag Ned and MJ into this when it's just going to put them in danger. And we see the results of all of this. But that was like when this happened, I was like, oh, shit, it's going down like he doesn't get it. He, he we've never seen the with great power comes great responsibility in the first two of these movies. And he clearly doesn't get it at all about the effects that this has on others. Am I overreacting? No, and I, I think that's a very valid point. I think that he is trying to do it all, and the villains allude to it later on in the film. He wants to have it all, and I think to add to this moment that you covered very well and very much highlighted the importance of this scene for him as Peter Parker Spider-Man is also this scene also made what if more important as a series because Doctor Strange is able to do that containment spell situation, which is oh, something yeah. that we first saw in What If. So if you hadn't seen What If, you weren't you weren't able, you don't understand, I guess, the level of his powers, like how he's able to do stuff. So I think it helped understand how he's able to do that, and it's still alive. It's not a dead spell; it's still alive. Mm, which I think yeah, it's important if, for the. What if film. just established a ton of shit? It's going to be important for the future of the MCU, and I think people slept on that, don't you? Yeah. It was a hard like, watch, mean, but yes. It's a hard watch, but, like, Doctor Strange Multiple Versus of Madness is clearly going to be affected by the show. Oh, yeah. And I think there's ways that What If could impact the MCU that we haven't even thought of yet. But that's another topic. Um, Peter is kicked out of Doctor Strange's office, basically, because, or, or Sanctum, because... <laughs> Doctor Strange realizes that he didn't call the admissions counselors to like plead his side of the case or uh, challenge it or whatever. And so Doctor Strange, I love that. Is just I think that was such a pissed. good moment because it shows who he is as Peter Parker. It shows again why Tom Holland is so good as Spider Man and Peter Parker because he sold mm-hmm. that like the whole like oh I didn't even think I could have done that. It's like so believable that that would have happened. It's like of course he didn't and, do that. And stuff like this. The, the stupidity of Peter Parker that may have annoyed me, not annoyed me because I really like the first two films. It makes way more sense after seeing this movie because this is the origin. I would make the argument. And I'll, t- I'll tease, I'll, I'll tease this to the end, but I'll make the argument like maybe at the end of this movie is the first time Peter Parker is actually Spider-Man, but we will get to that later because of, or like the true Spider-Man. Um, so going on, Peter calls Flash, who got into MIT, um, to talk to the admissions person. He tracks her to some bridge, and she's in a car. Peter gets out of his Iron Spider uh, costume, and his suit is so wrinkly when he gets out of it. And, man, I have been there, brother. Like, not everyone's got time to have everything perfectly not wrinkled, and sometimes you got to wear something you're not expecting it. We've all been there. The, the jacket itself, though, was especially wrinkly. So it's like, you got to hang that up at least, Pete. But um, 
he he's like pleading his case to the admissions people. He's pleading his case for Ned and MJ. Important to point that out. And then boom, Peter. Hey, hello, Peter. Doc Ock shows up. Uh, why don't you take it? Take this scene from here. So I mean, this this bridge scene is just like that's it. It's like multiverse. Here we go. And I think it's when you kind of see that the fight takes place between them and Doctor Strange's. Can't speak. My coffee is not hidden, and Otto Octavius is not understanding who this Peter Parker is until he like you know slams him up against the side of the bridge and like he sees the mask come off and he's like you're Mm -hmm. not Peter. But also he absorbs the nanotech, which I mean is in the trailer you're watching like oh he's absorbing it whatever that this is like maybe he has the tech, but the way it's done here where he absorbs it and then Peter's able to. Bluetooth control so the sick. tentacles was like it was again it was the Iron Man of it all meshed into the Peter Parker character in a way that was so organically done that it was like this is cool and how Pete but again it's also super serious stuff happening but then you see Peter like waving with the tentacle and like messing with it and laughing with it and so again it brings that comic book level even the cartoon level, I've been watching the cartoon um, Spider-Man for fun, awesome. and it just has that vibe to it, which I think this movie needed because it's going to get dark really quickly. Yep. Yep, it definitely is. Um, he uses Doc Ock's tentacles to save the MIT admissions person, and um, she tells Peter that she'll put in a good word for the trio. Peter doesn't really care about him. He only cares about Ned and MJ, but she says she'll put it in for the trio. Um, And then the end of the bridge scene, the Green Goblin attacks. We see the pumpkin bomb. And right before Peter can confront this mysterious goblin figure, Peter and uh, Octavius are teleported to Doctor Strange's dungeon where um, there's all these, like, prison cells. And Doc Ock is put in one of them. We see that the lizard is in from the Andrew Garfield universe is in there. That strange uh, track down. And we find out that uh, when the spell fucked up, some people who people who know Peter Parker is Spider-Man broke through the multiverse into the MCU. Not maybe not all of them. Well, obviously not all of them, because like Kirsten Dunst doesn't show up or Emma Stone or Captain Stacy, whatever. But um, they start breaking into the multiverse. So this is how the villains come through. And later in the film, this is how the two other Peter Parkers will come through. Um, so basically, Dr. Ainge is telling Peter, like, you got to fix all this shit. You got to track down these villains. This is your fault. And we got to send them back to the universes they came from. And um, I mean, just another massive fuck up from our boy Peter. <laughs> he has to ask Strange to let Ned and MJ come to the Sanctum to help him. Once again, stop involving your friends, Peter. Now, I mean, what do you think? I thought you put that, it's like, it's true, because you don't see, you don't see Tony involving, willingly involved, like, Pepper or... um, Happy. Happy. Like, it's like, never like that. Peter wants them with him to help him and it's it's frustrating because you're like this is not going to go well but at the same time it rings so true to the character it's like this is what he would do he would involve them because he wants them to be a part of this he wants their help that's what this trilogy has been he's been they've been helping him along the way 
as they found out about his true identity. So it's going to be an interesting ride from here where he goes now that he's got them helping. And as Dr. Strange, I like the Dr. Strange when he, when he sees them, he tells them it's not Scooby do this crap. Like in the trailer, it's like Scooby do this shit. It makes much more sense for Steven to say it that way. The crap yeah. line never really rang. It was like, this is kind of an odd way for him to speak, but it makes sense in the movie mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I thought that was much better. Um, and so basically, they're going to go out and catch all these supervillains, right? Uh, specifically, the goblin that they are—they're looking for. So Peter um, and MJ—they have a touching moment before they start to track down the villains. Basically, like she's like, "Tell me before you destroy the multiverse." And we're just knowing where this movie goes. It's just—it's so evident of just Peter having to involve and use. It's just—I'm going to keep saying it because it's the lesson he learns in this trilogy. Um, they're tracking down Goblin on TikTok, all this stuff. Um, Zendaya's killing the performance, and this is just the start. The trio then makes fun of Doc Ock's name, and we find out, though, that he tells Tom Holland that you're chasing ghosts. He knew Norman Osborn and tells the trio that Norman is dead, which kind of shakes the three of them. They don't really know what to make of it. So Peter heads out with his suit inside out because of green paint a Mysterio fan threw on him earlier in the film. Black and gold suit, pretty cool. And then MJ and Ned are able to watch what Peter sees because he, like, duct tapes or however puts a cell phone on the front of his chest. So they're able to follow along with what he is doing. Um, And Strange also tricks out his web shooter. So basically, if he hits people with this web, it transports them back to these prison cells. So Peter heads out to a a wooded area with all these telephone poles looking for the goblin. And Jamie Foxx Electro shows up. What was your takes, Peter, on the new suit or like the inside out suit and the way he had the cell phone on? I think that the way he had the cell phone on was just, again, it shows Peter's genius of how he comes up with solutions, which we don't talk about enough in the MCU version of Peter Parker, that he's just super, super smart. But we do get this more in this movie specifically. So just, and how, but again, he's including them to come be on his journey to go hunt down these multiverse villains. And I think that, again, there was a line that MJ has where she says, how do you not throw up or something to, to Ned as he's watching Peter spin? And again, just little things like that add to the whole experience of who Spider-Man is and what he does because it's different than when you're looking through Tony's vision, looking as he goes around as Iron Man. It's, it's a very different experience. So to have him do that. And then the black suit, which was such a red herring, like you're like, oh, he, like the Funko Pops, the merch all had Spider-Man in a black suit. And it was like, well, what is this new suit? But it turns out it's just flipped out inside out because inside of out. the paint. So I think that was a good a good touch to get to the woods, which where we face off against a still blue Jamie Foxx. Yeah, so we're going to see the the transition out of that blue. I thought that was actually a really good point you just made, though, about the difference between looking between Iron Man, uh, his helmet, and Spider-Man. I mean, Im- trying to watch, imagine watching, like, a cell phone footage taped to Spider-Man's chest. I mean, I would throw up thinking about that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but, so, yes, Jamie Foxx Electro, still blue. Sandman from the Rainyverse shows up to help Peter, thinking he is Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. And eventually they take out Electro by destroying all these telephone poles. And Electro is back to human form now. 
and looks way cooler from Amazing Spider-Man 2. He's also naked. Um, like, just way cooler immediately. They, there's no explanation of that in this movie, but I think it's one of those things where I'm just like, I accept that. He looks so bad in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Thank you for changing that. How'd you feel? <laughs> no, I agree. I think, And I think the way they kind of just said because of the new energy in this universe is that's why he's able to, like, look better than he did in uh, Amazing Spider-Man. And it was good because that's what this movie is sort of doing. It's like it's taking the characters that we've seen but that weren't executed perfectly and, like, retooling them into the way the MCU has... Like, I mean, MCU is so good about integrating, like, the classic comic book costumes into characters, which we see happen later on with the Green Goblin, in a sense. So I think it was a very cool way that no one's going to mind and just a nice way to kind of be like, Electra's actually a pretty dope villain. We just need to do some tweaks to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they did a great job of that in this. Um, it, it, Tom Holland's trying to explain what's going on to them, uh, like this whole multiversal situation, before he sends Electro and reluctantly sends Sandman back to the prison with the special web shooters that Strange gave him. And then we um, we quickly jump after that scene to Willem Dafoe, Green Goblin, in an alleyway talking to his helmet slash the goblin. Um, he's looking all freaked out. Norman, he's, he looks like he's Norman at this point. And Norman uh, crushes the goblin helmet. And I guess he thinks maybe he's destroying it, but we still hear the laugh of the helmet of the goblin after he smashes it, which lets us know that the goblin is still in there. Um, and, oh, well, this is where shit goes bad. But I do want to say, I think it was such a smart move to have them smash the goblin um, mask situation because in one hand, you're kind of eliminating the baggage that comes with it and that's already been done with the Green Goblin. And we've seen it. We've seen Spider-Man movie. We know what it's like. We've got that whole thing. And now you're really able to let um, William Dafoe act yeah. with his face and do things. And I think a, a sidebar is that when he signed up for this, he insisted that he be able to do his stunts. Like, so at 66, his homeboy's doing his stuff because he said, there's no way to really be this character if you're having somebody else come in to do these other moments that are part of who the character is. So mm-hmm. he, again, fully goes into this and is so, his talent is just nuts. Like, it's so, cre- it's so much more creepier to not have the mask. Yeah, especially, like, you mentioned, like, he's such a good actor. He's so fucking creepy. He's so weird, the facial expressions he can make. I mean, I thought it was incredible in this movie. We're just getting the beginning of it. But I want to, I'll bring this up now. Um, I saw, I don't know if you sent me this. I don't know. You probably sent it to me. Or I saw it on Twitter. Basically, it compared, so it compared Marvel villains to DC villains. Walk with me. Thanos is like DC's dark side. Dark side is uh, Marvel's Thanos. Mm-hmm. And the thing they were saying, which is I thought was fascinating, was Willem Dafoe is the MCU's Joker. I mean, I was same like, color palette for sure. So I yeah, yeah. and just the craziness. Um, there's legitimate debate online, and we'll get we'll get to the full performance here. But people are ranking him as the best villain in the history of the MCU. Then it. I'm not like exact like that's happening that is completely happening online right now well I think what the specifically without jumping too far ahead I think the Green Goblin delivers 
I mean, this William Defoe's Green Goblin delivers what I want so much in my villains is that they are your villains are villains. Like I think they're right. And I think, I think that, yeah, right. I think I hadn't thought of it that way, but I mean, yeah. I mean, who's cool. better, I mean, Peter? Thanos uh, is great, but I think Defoe's Goblin was better. I mean, Defoe, I mean, yeah, who else do we have? Thanos, Hela, Loki, than... Loki doesn't count because he's Loki basically a hero at this point. Um, what, Killmonger? He's better Hela. than Killmonger. Uh, fuck, Zemo, he's better than. Um, Zemo got retooled too, so. Zemo's yeah. great too, but like, I, but I he's really like, not like villain, I'm, villain, so. Yeah, like, I'm, I mean, Winter Soldier doesn't count. Red Skull, and he's better than. Yeah, I really think Willem Dafoe might have just put in the best villain performance in the history of the MCU. You heard that here, folks. We are endorsing that view. Yes, let's go. Let's ride. Um, we get a call. Peter gets a call from May and tells him one of the guys he is looking for just walked into Feast, which is where the homeless shelter uh, that where she works. Peter mobs to where May is, and he finds her talking with Norman Osborn, Willem Dafoe, wearing normalish clothes, kind of homeless attire. Uh, where he has like a purple hoodie, a green coat. He is really like he's convincing May, and maybe he is a little bit. But he's really selling that he's very confused and mentally ill. He's like how his house has different people in it. His company doesn't exist in this world. His son isn't around. He tells Peter that like he came here for Spider-Man's help, but Peter isn't. The, that's not the Spider-Man he knows. Um, May is buying this shit and is like telling uh, Tom Holland like he's not just lost mentally. He's lost, or he's not just lost in the multiverse. He's lost mentally. Peter then is like, yo, this is not my problem. And this is where May puts her foot down and says, like, what we do is help people. That's what we do. That's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Like, May is the the morality of telling Peter to do the right thing in this film. And this is, like, one of the first parts of it. Um, Because Peter just wants to get rid of this problem. In hindsight, probably should have just done that. But May wants him to help others. So... What was your take on the scene of Will? I mean, I thought. I know I just asked you, but I just want to quickly. I thought it was masterful how they played his, like how he came up through feet. Like I don't know. Go. I'll stop talking. I th- I think my initial uh, my initial thought is so. There's that meme online where it's, I'm sure you've seen it where it's like it's like something where it's like um, get away from her, like get a job type situation where they apply it to certain character people that are introducing themselves into the lives of others. Like, the minute it showed that she was helping him, it was like, get away from him. Like, don't even interact with this dude. This is bad. And I think, again, this scene is getting so well in integrating how good Marissa Tomei is as Aunt May in Ah, this character. Probably the best one of any of the parental figures in Peter Parker's lives in the Spider-Man movies. But again, in a really grounded, relatable to Peter, not, like, super older than him, but, like, still, like, She's helping him and reminding him of who he's supposed to be and who what he needs to do and what they what she's instilled in him, I guess, since he's been growing up. So then my other, I guess, my question, but also thing is when I watched this movie the second time, because, yes, of course, you've seen it multiple times already, is. I've seen it four times. Yes, but you've all, yeah. I've seen it once in a theater, and I've watched three bootlegs, the same bootleg. It's a bootleg, but I've watched it three times, so I'm not going to see it in the theater again. 
you know, I've seen it twice in the th- once in 3D, but that's beside the point. Um, I think my my thought the second time was when Norman is talking to May. At this point, are we under the impression this is the Goblin being Norman, not Norman yeah. Norman? It's not yeah, the Norman yeah, saying Norman. I don't it's Goblin playing Norman. Yeah. It, that's the it's an act the whole time like i think the fact that after he crushes the helmet that you still hear the laugh like this is the goblin doing what he does playing a role and quickly a testament to we were just talking about how good of a villain willem dafoe green goblin was you mentioned how like as soon as you see him with aunt may you're like no no like get away get away the power, how good his character is, is all you need is that split second frame of seeing him next to Aunt May. And you're just like, oh, fuck. You just see his face. Like, he's, that's how good he is. I mean, he's, he's fucking crazy. And yes, to answer your question, this is totally the goblin playing the role, in my opinion. Yes, there might be, like, dual personality, so sometimes Norman is there. But if I had to, like, bet, I, I'm, I just think that the goblin's always in control yeah okay so yeah totally that's the what the takeaway from that scene that you do i mean she convinces peter obviously to help him and so peter agrees and then she has when she drives peter to um the sanctum she does tell him you know the goblin trusts you and i trust you so there's this she's again putting she has this faith in who he is as a person even though she also believes that the goblin trusts peter and the goblin definitely does not trust peter but you know, we're, we're human. We're not perfect. So, of course, she's going to want to give him the benefit of the doubt because she wants to help people. Yeah. Also. And so they head to the sanctum. They bring Norman there. MJ and Ned are there. Now Aunt May is heavily involved. So things are looking great. Um, Norman and Otto recognize, recognize each other and interact. Otto says he died, but Norman says he's crazy. Um, Sandman agrees with Otto and tells both of them that they die. So we're getting the Raimi-verse villains kind of talking to each other, filling out what's going on. And we have the same thing happen with the uh, Andrew Garfield, uh, Mark Webb universe. You have Electro and Lizard acknowledge that they're from the same universe and both worked at Oscorp. Um, so all the Toby and Andrew villains are established at this point. Um, I just want to quickly... Uh, I, I guess I'll get to this at a later little bit, but I just want to get this out there right now. My only criticism of the movie. The lizard and Sandman didn't need to be in this. And I don't think they should have been. I think that they were just a waste. And I think it was just trying to maybe get more villains from those films. And I get it because the spell, they technically know who Peter Parker is. I just think. And it's not like they focus so much on them that it like takes away from other people. I just don't think we needed them. I thought I think Doc Ock, Electro, and Norman was enough. And I mean, because really, what did the lizard bring to this? Like, what did he bring to this? Like, really? So, so okay. I, I yes, I see where you're coming from. I mean, they even refer to the lizard as a dinosaur at one point. You're like, they didn't even know he could talk. But I think they yeah. serve the purpose of Andrew didn't have that many. Doesn't have that wealth of villains. They didn't give him those in his movies. So if yeah. you want to stick, be able to bring in him effectively, you kind of do have to include his villains. 
and you and they do poke holes and make it seem like you know it, but Sandman is the one that I'm just like because uh, I mean he wasn't really against Peter at the end but again they're kind of making it sense it wasn't perfect but again when you don't have that yeah. much to work well, with you gotta about- work with what you have the lizard's the same way. Like the lizard was in jail. Like he wasn't about to die. So but it's the same thing die? with Sam and him. No, he goes to jail, and then he's recruited like in a post credit scene, uh, yeah. the Sinister Six, and we don't know if he says yes. But like, I don't know. It's fine. I'm I'm not gonna hate on that, but I just don't. Because like I have in the notes, like the villains like slowly start to realize that they were all teleported to this universe right before they were about to die. The lizard asks if Electro, Electro, if he dies. We don't know yet. Um, like, the lizard asks, like, do I die to Electro? And we don't know. We don't know the answer. And, like, Sandman died, I guess. How? But those are the only two things in, like, the entire movie that I was like, that doesn't make sense. So, that's good. On to other things. Doctor Strange shows up and is ready to send them all back to their realities. But Peter doesn't want to do this because he doesn't want to send people to their death. This is good guy Peter Parker. He tells Strange to have a heart. And so this is where you have the the good of Peter Parker coming into the um the just kind of like I don't know how to phrase it. The Strange is very much like a results oriented, like if we're gonna save these people, like he doesn't have that much emotion and stuff. He's just like, we gotta do it. And um, it's the opposite of Peter. So them two having like the moral disagreement between sending the villains back. Um, I thought it was good. Doctor Strange like gets ready to send them back. Norman's begging Peter to save them. And then this is where we get the the chase scene between Peter and Doctor Strange. Um, Peter Gonzalez, how about what was your take on this little inner exchange between Strange and Peter? And then can you take us through this wild chase scene? So I'm glad you asked that because I think what we forget as a viewing audience of the MCU is that up until this point, we've only had one Doctor Strange movie. Like he's just made appearances. Mm-hmm. And so we don't really, his character's not fully fleshed out. But in that one movie, for lack of a better word, Stephen Strange was an asshole. I mean, that's who he was as a person. Yeah. Like he was very much as he was an said, asshole in Infinity War too. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, in the end game, he comes back and he's like, whatever, helpful. But, so I think this rang very true to that character. It rang true to the character we saw in What If, if you watched What If, which you should have, because it kind of shows more about him. So it's, it's, he's there to get the job done. He's not there for Peter's trying to rehabilitate these people as Aunt May has taught him. So I think it was a very true testament of who he is and what we'll see in Doctor Strange too. Just kind of a reminder for people, like, this is not a feel-good doctor. This is, like, a very to-the-point. This is why Christine and him never worked. Like, because she couldn't get on board with this. Yeah. But we do have this great scene in the mirror dimension. Because first, Peter takes the the relic that is holding the The spell. And, you know, they have, it's a fun scene where, you know, he's trying to get out of the sanctum and Doctor Strange is opening portals that are holding Peter back. And it's really cool how it's done. But then we go into the mirror dimension, which we haven't seen since Doctor Strange 1. Doctor Strange 1. And I think it's something that was one of my qualms about. Actually, no, technically we saw it in Infinity War. Slightly. But I think it wasn't used enough. 
But here in this scene, you just see how he is able to punch Peter and you see Peter astral project, but yet Peter's fight, P- Peter Tingle is still in play. So where he's able yeah. to dodge Doc Strange. And it's like Peter's a legit amazing superhero. Like we don't we forget that. He's able to do this while not being in his body. He thinks he's dead for a second, which is again, Tom Holland is selling this character so well. And then they fight through the mirror dimension in a great scene, which I must say in 3D is just sick, just seeing the way things oh, are happening. Man. But then we get the greatness of Peter's genius again, where he uses geometry to outsmart Doctor Strange's magic and essentially trap Doctor Strange in the mirror dimension while he hops out with the relic, which is something that we did talk about in our preview episodes to this. You're wondering, like, how does Doctor Strange get sidelined organically where it makes sense to the story and doesn't feel like, why wouldn't he help? This made total sense. Peter traps him in the mirror dimension. Peter Parker takes out Doctor Strange. Uh, Doctor Strange, though, who's clearly like pulling his punches a little bit. But um, I thought that was a cool back and forth between them. Um, you were mentioning the Peter Tingle and how cool it was they showed that. This uh, trilogy, I mean, specifically the last two movies, like the way he used his spider senses to fight Mysterio, and then that scene in this movie, and there's another scene later where he uses them. I... I mean, they just do such a good job of showing off the spider senses. And compared to the other ones, they do such a better job. Like, I really like um, how they've shown that part of Spider-Man's power because it's incredibly important to his, like, to like his power set. But it's also something I feel like in the past has been hard to convey, like, how actually powerful it is. So, like, your point of, like, we don't realize how gnarly... Spider-Man is like, yeah, that, that, I agree. So I'm glad you pointed that out. And to that note, um, I would love to see it. As I feel like I said, I've been watching the cartoon. The way it's done so cool in the cartoon, where you just it just changes the whole situation. I would love to see that translated in the future Tom Holland universe. Yeah, that would be a really Spider-Man. good touch. Um, yeah, so Strange shows up. Or wait, sorry. We have Strange trapped basically by peter with the math um and uh let me pull this up sorry everyone oh peter then goes to the villains and he's telling them that he wants to cure them so he can send them back to their universes and they will not die quick point on this just gonna say it really quickly theoretically if you were to cure doc ock and then put him back in he is still going to drown in with the thing, the son from Spider-Man 2, regardless if he's a nice guy or not. Just Unless saying. you put him back, like, a little bit before that, like, into... But do they have, like, I don't think they have, like, control of that. But whatever. We won't get too much to But I do think this whole idea of them rehabbing the villains, you know, saving them, is also a, a way for the... It's also kind of a meta way of looking at how a lot of villains are retooled in these movies away from being a villain it's like let's change their motivations and make them ultimately you know better people i mean just look at disney in general like maleficent cruella you're taking villains and you're changing them into good people so i think it was a very meta way to kind of address society's 
let's say, help people, which is not a bad thing, but like it's just saying it's very prevalent right now in your mm-hmm. villains that you see in media. Is Loki an example of that kind of? Yeah, I don't know how I missed the the, the biggest takeaway. Loki, yes, perfect example. Okay, I'm on the same page then. Um, so Peter, along with Aunt May, they take the villains to Happy's apartment where May and Tom Holland have been staying because they had better security. Um, Peter and Norman begin to work on cures for all the villains. Norman says he's something of a scientist himself. That was fucking awesome. That's one of the best, like, memes or clips from a movie ever. I don't know why I find it so fucking funny. <laughs> but every time he says, I'm a scientist, I'm somewhat of a scientist myself with that weird smile, it gets me. Um, meanwhile, though, so Aunt May and Peter take them all here, right? Um, yes. Ned and MJ are... Some they're at Ned's house with the, yes, the spell Peter thing. Peter gave them the relic thing and told them he would tell them when to use it if they needed to absolutely use it. And he finally sends them away in a way. He's like, okay, finally, we're getting rid of them. They're going to be safe. They're going to be fine. Like, let's stop involving them. But of course, Aunt May is coming with him, which is like, why? Why? Why is what I'm thinking too as she and Peter drive with Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Elect. <laughs> it's just unreal. It's unreal to think about. Um, so Norman and Peter working on the cures. Uh, they end up curing Doc Ock first. He resists, but then we get a really cool moment where he's incredibly thankful. And we, for the first time since like the beginning of Spider Man 2, see the good guy, Doc Ock, the one that Peter would go have dinner with and was writing the paper on was so charismatic and the reason that spider-man 2 was so tough on peter parker toby Maguire, was because of how much respect he had for Oc or octavius before this so seeing him back to his normal self where he's not controlled by crazy tentacles thought that was a great great touch what'd you think of that i think it was awesome and i think we obviously have talked a lot about william defoe's green goblin but also Alfred Molina is just doing a phenomenal job re- revisiting so and re-inhabiting this character that, as you said, he was a good person. He just got the typical villain origin story that fucked up his life. And so now to see him change and brought back to that person, you're like, okay, I see what Peter's doing. I get it. Peter's trying to bring things back to how they should be. And it was great. It was, I mean, the way he he switched from the resistance to wanting it to then he's such a good actor. Accepting it, it was like, and he's also again an older guy who's back in this role, and then, and they're all fully on board with the story, which it just adds to why this movie is so fucking good. Yeah, I mean, we gotta, I gotta echo that because I mean, just as a Spider-Man fan, this movie's so fucking good. We just get everything. We literally get everything we grew up on. And that's why, I mean, we'll get to this at the end, but, like, when you look at, first of all, everyone's comparing, uh, like, is this better than Endgame? Infinity War is better than Endgame. There, I said it. I think. Infinity War? I like Infinity War more than Endgame. I think it's close, but I would take Infinity War over it. This movie, like, when you talk, though, compared to Endgame, because Endgame's like, oh, the 12 years or 20 movies built up all to this, which is so cool to see. This is maybe a different level. As much as I like all, like, Ant-Man, Black Panther, Wanda, all those people coming in through the portals, Falcon, Bucky at the end, 
I might take the people who show up in this movie over them. You know what I mean? Like that's we'll how get good to that. Them. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just but getting I, excited. To that note, to that note, though, I realized, and I did the math. It takes me, it took me a little bit of time to do the math, but it's since I've watched the movie to now is when Spider-Man One happened. I was nine years old. Like that was like formative years of my yeah. life seeing these movies, and to see, and that's why the payoff now is so so much. I don't know. It does. It has that thing that you're saying. I think it hits better than Endgame in a different way because you started this ride a hell of a lot early, earlier yeah. and a longer span of time, not just span of movies, but span of time with less movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just so cool. We'll get into all the stuff that's going to happen here. But let's get back to the apartment. Um, a cure for Electro is put on him. And we get uh, a scene where a healthy, good good guy, Doc Ock, asks Norman how excited he is to become fully himself and, like, get rid of the goblin persona now that a cure is ready. Um, Norman doesn't respond. The goblin responds. You hear that voice. And Peter's spider sense is about to – it's just going fucking crazy. It's going ape shit. He knows something is wrong. He's telling May to get out of here. And then um, he knows it's Norman. He knows it's the Goblin. And he webs him to the Stark robot. Um, did Goblin hide a pumpkin bomb in the Stark robot when he first got there? Or am I imagining things? I think I think so, because I think he was standing by it when he first gets there. And I, so I think that's highly what happened, because it... It just, there's details in this whole scene. It's just, it's nuts. And I mean, there's one tiny detail that I noticed that just the Legos, when it, when um, Jamie Foxx comments on Peter's Legos, I mean, it makes, again, it grounds this character so well in that he's a younger Spider-Man. But the way the mm-hmm. tension is done when Peter's tingle goes off and he's telling May to get out, and he's just, it's almost so silent, too, because it's just, you know that shit's about to explode but you don't know how exactly. Like, yes, you know, if you followed the leaks and you followed everything, you kind of have an idea of what's happening, but it doesn't matter because when you're watching this yeah. on the screen, you're literally losing your mind. Mm-hmm. And I thought a cool thing in this scene is, so as Peter's spider senses are going batshit, you see Norman behind him. He's the one who, <clears throat> excuse me, who notices that Tom Holland's Peter Parker having the spider sense shit go down um and this leads to a fucking wild fight breaking off electro takes off his cure and all the villains bail including doc ock they cause some havoc as they're getting away but it's left with just peter and the goblin fighting very brutal goblin kicking his ass going through falling through floors the most physical spider-man scene up to this point in this film that we've probably ever seen in the MCU, how gnarly that fight was. Um, again, crashing through like t- at least 20 floors or some shit, like through this giant building and they end up crashing into the lobby and you see May is down there and she's watching Goblin attack and beat the fucking shit out of Tom Hall and Peter Parker. And then she, does she come up and hit him with something or she try to cure him? She hits him with the cure. So essentially, it's a, it's both things. She tries to cure him and hit him with the cure. But again, she's showing the selflessness of what she's instilled in Peter. She could have ran away and, like, you know, gotten She should have. I was just... telling her to get the fuck out of there. I was like, get Which out. Which is what we get want. Get out. 
But she can't do that because that's not who she is. That's not who the character we've led to believe is, is from the past three movies, these past three movies. So yeah. it was such a hard thing the, to see because you know what's coming. The antidote then that the goblin made for himself clearly like it, it didn't work. So it didn't work. Yeah. So this is that's that's another reason why and the pumpkin bomb being hidden. I think the goblin was in control the full time mm-hmm. of that. So um, I mean, folks, buckle in. Goblin Peter getting the shit kicked out of each other. The the cure doesn't work that May stabs him with. And goblin, you see his glider rise up. And it hits May. Um, we don't know how bad the damage is yet. He also, for good measure, throws a pumpkin bomb at her that a Spider-Man deflects. And it seemingly looks like Aunt May may have survived. She's saying she's okay. And we get the, the great power comes great responsi- the responsibility speech. Word for word from the comics, the actual way it was said, which was awesome. Um... And she dies after that. We get the Uncle Ben dying at the beginning of every Spider-Man story that when they did Spider-Man Homecoming, people didn't want to see that anymore. Like, we've seen the origin story of Spider-Man so many times. So Homecoming was like, okay, what if we do a three-movie-long origin story that you don't know is an origin story the whole time? And so not that when Uncle Ben dies in the previous movies, it's not powerful, but it's not as powerful as this because we've had three movies to get to know Marissa Tomei as Aunt May and see that relationship and enjoy her character and know how important she is to Peter. And this is up there with any death in the MCU as sad. And it is brutal. It is to lose Aunt May. Peter Parker losing Aunt May. We have never seen that in the Spider-Man movies. And... um she does a, a great performance, like I said, with the with great power comes great responsibility. And one thing, as the cops are coming in because they're blaming Spider-Man for everything's going on in this building, you see Happy see all of this happen, and you know this breaks his heart. He is arrested and is screaming at Peter to run before the police arrest him. Goblin bails. Peter has to leave Aunt May there. Sad as fuck, Aunt May. Rest in peace to a legend. Peter, what do you got on this? I, I don't know what I could add to I mean, you, 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 you eulogized that quite well. I mean, you're sitting in a the movie theater and you know this is going to happen. And then you're sitting in a Spider-Man movie and there's like tears in your eyes. And you're like, this, oh, yeah. this, this should not be happening. But there you are. And you're just like, I'm fucking crying in the theater, crying in the club. It's tough. <laughs> it, it was, so, again, the performances her performance in dying, Tom Holland's performance in watching her die, it was so much, it was, it was better than his, when he disappeared and he blipped, like, he, he's just come so far he's, as an actor and what he's, he's able such to a good actor. deliver. And again, like you said, we had three movies to grow with this character, and so, and this is a character who fought to the very end to even protect, try to protect Peter. So I think, again, we don't have that necessarily with the Uncle Ben storylines, and here it just it hinged so well on such a breaking point for Peter. I mean, we talked about who was going to die, and I think in the end, if I go back, if we go back and listen, we didn't put all our full money on Aunt May dying. We kind of have it elsewhere on other characters, but I think this really was the point that needed to propel the. It propels the story in a way 
that this character was the one that was the only one that could do it. And again, having that line yeah. delivered for, in, to perfection was just, <sighs> I mean, I still have chills not talking about it. Like it's just so yeah. well done. And, so sad. and it's so fucking sad. It, it's Aunt May. It, the, the, it's just the way they did that was so fucking good. The, I mean, cause the, People were right when this movie first came out of like, we've seen Uncle Ben die so many times. We don't need to see it again. And just like the the vision of the way they put together this trilogy of having it take three movies and doing it with Aunt May, like, it's just fucking baffling. Like, that's why this movie and this trilogy are at the top of the MCU for me, because the foresight and the way they told these stories is just so different than anything else and i just thought it was awesome um and to that point too i feel like with the uncle ben dying in the other movies what kind of if i think about it what made me get sadder like teary-eyed in those was you know the peter parker reaction to it was more of the what motivated the sadness here yes you're motivated by the sadness of peter but because you've also had this other character you're also mourning their loss also yeah, so you're bummed. Aunt May's been great. Doubly impactful. And, and it's just, I mean, even when she picked up that piece of whatever metal to try to go up against the Green Goblin, it's like, why would you want to go up against the Green Goblin? But it's that maternal instinct that she had for Peter that sells this so well. And uh, just... It's and fucking crushing. I'm, sidebar, but what sucks is that movies like this do not get recognized by like the film academy like they have you you're not going to get recognized because Dude, those people it's are a so superhero lame. movie but this movie has literally not only delivered on spider-man movies as a whole as this is better than black panther this is better than anything and it's reinvigorated the box office in the middle of a pandemic and become the second gross ugh, i just i have so many issues with that this movie doesn't get nominated for shit because it deserves it's it. not going to because people are stupid I mean, it's just, I've got to the point where, I mean, I guess, like, I don't, I don't care as much anymore because, like, I don't know if you could name a group of people more out of touch with reality than, like, Hollywood elites. No, it's true. It's true. You sit on your high horse and you say that, uh, oh, Spider-Man's not a real movie or whatever. It's like, yeah, meanwhile, it's going to break every record and every single person in the world is going to go fucking see it. So, like, the people, like, I don't know. If if you put out a vote and let the people vote on best movie of the year, it's not going to be close. It's going to be Spider-Man. So, but good thing we have those people in turtlenecks that just watch films in black and white and in French, and they're going to tell us what movies are good. Great, great, great. Sidebar. Um, Back to the let's move. keep going here. Yeah. Um, I mean, shit. That's about as bad of a thing that has ever happened to Peter Parker. Um, that we've ever seen. I think the only thing you can really bring up is what Andrew dealt with with Gwen Stacy. Um, so this is heartbreaking. And Peter gets out of there. And meanwhile, Ned and MJ, they're worried about Peter. They don't know what to do. MJ wants to just use the box and send all the villains home because she has a bad feeling. Ned kind of stops her. And he's like, let me try and find Peter. So he uses the sling ring he got from Doctor Strange um, and trying to find Peter Parker, right? Well, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man shows up. Let's go. And um, it's an awesome appearance by Andrew. They don't believe that he's Spider-Man at first, so he has to demonstrate to MJ that he can, like, crawl on the ceiling. 
which was fantastic. So good to see Andrew, the enthusiasm he brought to the role. You knew it right away when you saw him. Um, what was your theater's reaction? I had not that many people in my theater. So, like, when I say I was, the, like, I clapped when Andrew and Toby came out, I was, like, the only one. So, like, how did your reaction? So, I was in a, a full up? theater, and um, people lost their mind. Like, people were cheering. and were, It was louder than Toby's reaction, in all honesty, which surprised me. Because it was the first one, I think. That's probably true also. But, again, he just, he came in and just exploded the, the scene. It was, like... This made so much sense. Like, I didn't think it would make me as emotional as it made me. Like, I was like, this is Spider-Man. Like, I was, I, I it was, it, honestly, the, the portal scenes for him and for Toby may have been more impactful for me than the portal scenes in Endgame, which I think you kind of touched on. It's like, I think they, there was just something that was, it just I mean, felt like. What's, what's more impactful, Toby Maguire, Spider-Man coming through a portal or Valkyrie? If you really want to get down to it, like that's what we're yeah. comparing here. No, so it's like no shots so. at them, but like that's what it is. So that's how cool it is. Um, they then Ned tries again, trying to find their Peter, and we get Toby freaking Maguire Spider Man showing up. Just awesome to see him with that Toby Maguire stupid face. I don't know. It's just funny to see him. Um, and then I there's some initial shoot webs at each other. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> They a quick fire, like initial skepticism with one another, and then they kind of realize who each other are. Um, and MJ and Ned fill them in on the situation, basically. And they don't know where to find Peter. And so the other Peters, <laughs> we got a lot of Peters at this point, Peter. Um, Toby and Andrew basically say like that they had spots in New York where they would go to get away when they were sad or whatever, needed to think about things. Obviously, Tom Hall and Peter Parker is at as low of a point as he's ever been and so they're trying to figure out where that spot would be for tom and it turns out it's the roof of his high school where him and uh mj and ned sometimes would hang out um but it's about to get really heavy when we go there so uh, any other thoughts on just this initial toby and andrew so um i guess it's related to toby and andrew because over a couple of days ago, as I, I told Brian, I listened back to our podcast, not in a narcissistic way, and like an actual, like, I want to do homework, you know, prepare for this. And mm-hmm. we, one of our issues was we were like, is like is seeing Ned wield the sling ring, like, we had mixed thoughts about how we feel about that. In watching the movie and the way they kind of set up, you know, he's, his, his, that he has some magic in his family, like, it felt organic. It didn't feel it like it worked. It did. It delivered. It wasn't bad at all. It worked, but here's what I will say. If, like, we never see anything come from that, or, like, we never see Ned again, or, like, Ned doesn't become, like, a wizard or a sorcerer or something like that, that's when I'd have a problem with it and be like, then why did you do all this shit? Because, you know, like, they didn't need to have any of that happen if, like, I feel like I'm fine with it because it was funny. Jacob Batalon's a good actor. I thought they played it off well. But there has to be a reason for that, right? I think like, no one pay in the it MCU there the is. There, there will be. I think because the MCU, I think it is thought out and it is going to come into a way that feels right and feels like it makes it, it, it all connects. And I think having him be the one to go and help him and MJ being the ones that find the Peters 
um, it really, really worked. And I think, again, showed how they want to help their Peter. And I think it was a great way to introduce us back to Peter 2 and 3. Because you're seeing the first interact here and mm-hmm. kind of seeing... I did see some of the criticism was like people were saying that Andrew and um, Toby were playing... Toby and Andrew playing these characters, not playing them as they were in the movies. I don't think that was the case at all. I think if you what? watched the movies... It was the exact they, characters. Yeah, it was exact. Their vibe was what they needed to be. It was it was it was exactly it was the the very wildly different versions of Spider-Man that we've had. Yeah, well, one thing I've noticed the last couple of days on social media is when somebody something is as universally beloved as this movie has been, you're going to get random people who are just going to start taking shots at it that make no fucking sense. Like I saw this one guy last night who's usually like he's fine or whatever. He like I follow him he's like funny he like i never think of him as a spider-man connoisseur and he's just like shitting all over it last night on twitter it's like dude like we get it you're trying to get some traction here because everyone loves the movie but like people are just gonna hate stupid things to be fucking annoying like this is a great movie and everyone likes it so much that like people are going to leak like criticism is gonna come from that like there's another podcast that uh, lights camera barstool lights camera pod something like that um where they do good movie reviews and stuff and they're good and like they did a full spider-man breakdown but their main piece of promotion of the talking of the movie was one guy's rant about how he thinks this is the third best mcu spider-man movie and it's just like okay you're trying to get clicks here for the hot takes and it's just fucking stupid like i don't know yeah, i just get annoyed no, with like no that is dumb bro no one wants your seven minutes on like this is the third best spider-man movie when that's a fucking joke if you're gonna actually say that about these three movies that that's the worst and it's just i, I don't know your People. hot takes are fucking stupid and that's why me and peter are better than you we don't just suck ass <laughs> on social media and retweet a hundred things and be annoying as fuck to make people listen to it that's my little rant because fuck these people who get to go see it early and then we'll literally get all this pre-screening and stuff and then they do a two-hour podcast about it that gets to record early because they got to fucking see it early and the thing they take away is well, i actually think this was by a slim margin the third best spider-man movie Go fuck yourself that's how i feel pissed me off when i saw that peter um and i will retreat we re- more retweet and endorse that statement because it is it's, it's not authentic i mean we I, there's just people that you just read their takes on movies or specifically movies like this and you're just like we get that you think you're this connoisseur of film and yeah. compare films to films but it's like your life Shut just sounds sad <laughs> you can't enjoy this movie like i feel sorry for you yeah anyway um, yeah so we're gonna go find tom holland on the roof of the high school and so mj and ned comfort a broken tom holland He's broken. He's at his lowest point he's ever been. He's crying. He's, I mean, obviously, he's he's in so much pain. MJ and Ned, I mean, part of them is broken, too, with seeing him like this. And um, then we see that Tom Holland sees Andrew and Toby Spider-Man, and he basically, like, tells them to go away. He says he's done with all this. He can't take it. But he's just at a point where he it's not worth it to him anymore. He's done. He doesn't want to deal with this. He lost his Aunt May, and he's fucking done. And um, so what happens is um, 
Toby and Andrew begin to slowly like share their experiences, right? Share uh, Andrew shares him losing Gwen. Peter, uh, Toby explains how he lost Uncle Ben and it was his fault. And um, they talk about how they dealt with it. And Peter's slowly beginning to realize that Aunt May would not want him to quit. A cool thing that is mentioned in this that we'll talk about a little later, Andrew talking about how he went through a darker phase, stopped pulling his punches because the anger consumed him. So they're trying to teach Tom Hall and Spider-Man to not let this consume him and not just make revenge and killing what he's about because that leads down a very dark path. What did you think about the the three Spider-Men's first interactions, Peter? I think it was a very inspired move to make it at such a moment that was such a low moment for Tom Holland's Spider-Man because I think it could have come off as like inauthentic. He could have been excited to see other versions of himself, but here it was like, he's so broken. He doesn't even care. He's like, I'm sorry you guys are here. I didn't mean to do this to you guys, but like, I'm going to just send everybody back. And so I think Mm -hmm. that having it in that aspect really shows how well they were able to weave in these different versions of Spider-Man and make them seem authentic and seem like there's actually a multiverse. Like it doesn't seem like Mm -hmm. a far-fetched theory of like, there's other versions of someone. And I think hearing Toby and Andrew Spider-Man talk about their instances was really great because again, it reminds us of what we've been on the journeys with them. But I think again, this scene also just like, as you mentioned, Andrew further cemented how good Andrew was as Spider-Man. Like, I think he was really able to, in a sense, almost eclipse Toby's kind of sad story because he just made it. Yeah. It reminded us of how we all felt after watching Amazing Spider-Man 2 when Gwen Stacy died. Like, it, you remember that. We've talked about that on the pod. It's like, it's we hated funny, that yeah. moment. It was so sad. So to see them here with Peter and help him not make, do what they did was it's just it's just a nerd's dream just a part it's just you're geeky now yeah. it's just it's not it's so incredible to see very cool and so a freshly energized tom hall and peter parker and the mj and ned and the two other spider-man had done to the science lab in the school and they get to work making the cures for these villains this leads to some funny interactions which includes ned finding about out about how harry osborne was toby Maguire's peter's best friend and he turned crazy and tried to kill him, which Ned promises he won't do that to Tom. Um, and we also get one of the best moments of the movie is how when Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield realize that Tobey Maguire's web comes out of his like wrists, Andrew is so fascinated by this. And the way he's staring, his facial expressions, it is just so funny. And we needed that. Like, that was one of those things. You knew that this was going to happen in this movie. That they were going to be like, wait, it comes out of your wrists? And the way Andrew, like, it was Andrew. Andrew sold that, like, how, honestly, how you would react. Like, what? It. So I think um, that was a really cool part. And I, I like the way they handled that. I like that. And then to add to that, I like when Andrew comments that, that Toby's dressed like a youth pastor. I think that so was good because he was a perfect way of just like again you're you're you know what these movies were you know what these characters were and you're like referencing things and and it makes so much sense and just and you're seeing them interact together you're seeing the three geniuses work and it's just and again yeah right. Ned's performance when he realizes about Peter's best friend 
I mean, Toby's Peter's best friend trying yeah. to kill him. Again, it just, he sells that so well of like the, like, I'm not going to do that to you, Peter. Like, such a good scene. And just, it, 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 when you read about stuff of this, you're like, this isn't going to really work. Like, it's not going to, like, yeah, you're not going to believe that there's three Peter Parkers, but it's like, you're, it's, I'm, I have chills again just thinking about it. Like, it's, it's, it's so good. So, so good. And so then the, the, the trio, along with Ned and MJ, they develop the plan that uh, the three Spider-Men are going to head to the Statue of Liberty to lure the villains there to cure them. Um, and MJ and Ned are going to hang back at the lab with the box, basically, in case anything goes wrong. Tom Holland does not want them around. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, um, Tom Holland Peter also calls into the J. Jonah Jameson show, who has set over the course of this movie as he's... Um, like the the set from where he does his show is getting better and better with each scene because you can tell he's cashing in on the Spider-Man controversy, um, and so Tom Holland Peter mentions that uh, he's like basically telling everyone, people of New York, villains, here I am. You should watch this. I'm gonna make this right. Right? Isn't that basically what he says? And he tosks him to root like root for him, like to like pull for him. And I think that's such a a moment that he that Tom's spider-man sells so well like i don't think it would i don't think the other ones wouldn't have sold it as well but i just think that his spider-man it makes so much sense that he's like if you guys would root for me and to do this like that'd be great like yeah because he hasn't had as many interactions with the city of new york and the people of new york as the other two have had so finally seeing that little like creating his role in new york in this movie and probably what they're doing for is going to be very very cool um so electro sandman and lizard show up and the fight breaks out the Spider-Man not working well together and they meet back up to discuss a plan. Tom Holland, Peter mentions that he's worked with a team called the Avengers before, and he knows how to work together. Tobey Maguire has no idea what that means. Andrew Garfield thinks it's a band, um, which was some funny moments. And then, but they realize they're calling each other, Peter one, Peter two, Peter three, that is established. And they agree that they basically need to take out all these villains one by one. They take out Sandman. Then, with the help of Doc Ock, they take out Electro. Doc Ock shows up. You think he's going to be bad. And he takes out Electro, which is huge. And then MJ and Ned are basically chased by the lizard because Ned couldn't order open a portal. They are chased out of the room they're in into the, the fight on the Statue of Liberty, of course. And MJ, though, does help Tom Holland Peter stop the lizard and cure him. So those three are cured and Doc Ock obviously is also already cured. What were your takeaways on that? It was just that it was once they regrouped and figured out how to fight together, it was just so it was so dope. And to see the scene from the trailer where it was just one Spider-Man versus all all the villains and to see it in its full form with all three against it, it was it was magic. It was just oh, fucking amazing to see. Like I, I, I can't stress enough how good this was to just see them working together and slingshotting off each other yes and knowing which one was which like you you could tell who was who and it's like Uh yeah it was cool to see the avengers try to take taking on thanos and everybody but this for some reason just the i i was so sick i i yeah i just so good and and then and then again just to see how you think that ned and mj are safe but it's like nope we're back on the everyone's up here and everything's going to happen here at the Statue of Liberty because it's a disaster. Oh, yeah. And so after the lizard is defeated, Ned opens up a portal again and a pissed off Doctor Strange comes through. We get also a scene between Electro and Andrew 
where Electro basically tells Andrew he thought he was black and wonders if there's one Spider-Man out there who's black in the multiverse. This is obviously a nod to Miles Morales, so we'll see what that does in the future. Um, Doc Ock and Toby reunite, and it's so awesome and wholesome. This is the first time they've seen each other in who knows how long, where Doc's finally like himself again, and Peter yeah. looked up to him so much. He calls him dear boy. Peter said Toby says he's getting he's trying to do better. And just a very, very wholesome moment between the two of them right there. Loved that. And um, Doctor Strange is pissed off because he's been hanging over the Grand Canyon for 12 hours because Peter trapped him. Andrew's, a nice call back to when he did that to Loki, in a sense, where Loki was just falling, 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 falling in Ragnarok. Very good point. Um, Andrew, continuing to kill it, tells Doctor Strange that they could have used his help. Um, which <laughs> was funny. He's just on fire in this. Um, Strange tells Tom Holland, like, I'm impressed with what you've done, but this has to end. And then the Green Goblin shows up. So before we get to uh, Green Goblin, do you have any thoughts on Electro, Andrew, Doc Ock, Toby, anything? I think it was it was a cool way to remind us of the interaction between those characters. I mean, the, I think you summarized the Doc Ock, um, Toby one very well, I think, because, again, they had that relationship and then the Andrew Electro one, I mean, Andrew saw Electro. He even alludes to how he was such a nice guy when he first met him, like when he's earlier in the in the interaction with the Spider-Man. So I think it was cool to see how we're remembering like these scenes happened and these characters had these interactions. I think it was just really well done. And then even when Doctor Strange gets the sling ring back from Ned and realizes the way he acknowledges that Ned was able to open the portals, was in a, a nice, interesting way that kind of does tease ahead if things are to come that way. But it's, it's interesting because you have all the villains fighting them and you're like, this is the big battle. But then the Green Goblin shows up and the stakes are equally as high with one villain as they were with the, the multitude against them. So it, it's wild that that's able to be the case. But again, yeah, he's, he's a maniac. So, yeah, he's the most unhinged. It's, it's the greatest villain, yes. He's the, I agree with what you're about to you didn't finish your thought, but you should have. He's the most unhinged villain in all of Marvel. Well, that's why you're here. You can finish my thought for me. Like, his... The more and more I think about this performance... Like, we're going to get into what happens here, because Willem Dafoe is about to put on a fucking show. Not that he hasn't been already. But, um... I just don't think there's... I can't think of anyone that's done a better as a villain in the MCU. No. And it, and it, and that it's in this movie too, which just is wild. And that it's a villain that we first met like 19 years ago yeah. is just wild. It's like it's this is why we have not replicated the Green Goblin to now until now. It's why there's only been mm-hmm. one. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, Goblin flies in on his glider, steals the cube from Doctor Strange, but Doctor Strange, with the help of Doc Ock, they steal it back. But unfortunately. <clears throat> There's a motherfucking pumpkin bomb inside it. So the cube blows up, cracking open the spell, the the thing it was holding, the multiverse itself. It sends the new Captain America shield falling to the ground off the Statue of Liberty. Um, MJ falls off the ledge due to this explosion, and Tom Holland jumps after her in a similar moment to Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Andrew Garfield trying to get Gwen Stacy. But... Tom Holland is hit by the Green Goblin, so he can no longer get MJ, but 
Andrew sees this happening, and you see how much it means to him, and he slings himself down, catching MJ's body with his hands rather than his webs like with Gwen Stacy, and he saves her. You can tell how much this means to him because he has tears in his eyes like after this because it's the obvious similarities to when he failed to catch Gwen Stacy in, Americans, in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. We predicted this would happen. I mean, so everyone did, but it was still so good to see. And again, Peter... Andrew Garfield, in the moments he's given, fucking crushes it. I mean, I'm getting tear out just again, just thinking about that moment. It was that good. It was, it, 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 it addressed it so well. Something that so many people had such a huge issue with. It addressed it so well and how he was able to save her. And he needed to be the one to save her. Like, it's, it's like you don't, uh, I mean, hopefully, we'll, we'll talk about the future later. But, I mean, you don't have a moment like this. And not have it impact the future going forward. But it was such a solid, solid moment of, in a sense, it's like you said earlier in the pod, it's like he had the most to prove and most to do for people with this movie. And he more than delivered. Like, that's why he's still trending on Twitter right now. It's like, and that's not to say that the other ones didn't, but it's just this performance in itself was just uh, insane. Yeah, and we just want to see more of him now after seeing how good that was. So carrying on Doctor Strange, he's struggling to hold this spell together, which it creates another explosion, and it really cracks open the multiverse this time. Ned is sent falling, but Doctor Strange's cloak, another tease. This is a tease to what if as well, but also a tease to Ned maybe having some sort of sorcery powers. Doctor Strange's cloak saves Ned by going on him and Ned like is able to fly down um and the Tom Holland Peter Parker and Green Goblin go crashing onto the Captain America shield in the is it the East River what the fuck is where's the Statue of Liberty in New York it's, it's in the ocean is it in the river it's the ocean I think it's the ocean. Yeah, wherever the Statue of Liberty is the bottom of it they're it's fucking, there they're fighting on the Captain America shield a great and, fight it's the scene where he does the where he like shoots the web and like is able to like kick him and like and it pulls the web down yeah knees him in the face that's oh. fucking sick um it's like, and we haven't had this we the only person that we've seen have like hand-to-hand combat has been either black widow or captain america like no one else really does yeah this i mean i guess in a sense you could say winter soldier and yelena also are ones that have hand-to-hand but the level that this scene did this scene was like Reminder again, Spider-Man is fucking cool. Like, yeah, he can do it, stuff it like this. Some awesome, just really not holding back any punches. Um, so Norman and Peter face off. Norman calls Peter, Tom Holland, Peter, too weak to send him home to die, and they start fighting. And it's brutal, like you mentioned. Holland, he's not pulling his punches. His anger is evident, and he starts to beat the living fuck out of the Green Goblin. Like beating the living fuck. I cannot think of maybe other than when Thor just chops off Thanos' head at the beginning of Infinity War, of someone truly just beating the shit out of someone. I mean, maybe kind of like Cap and Bucky taking down Iron Man at the end of Civil War, but the anger and the punches that Peter is throwing here and how he's connecting and seeing this young Spider-Man do this, it is fucking awesome. And we're loving it, but... Toby, Andrew, MJ, and Ned are watching from afar, clearly a bit worried, 
because they know how angry Peter is. Peter wants to kill this guy because he killed Aunt May. It's as simple as that. He wants the fucking revenge. And right when you think he's going to do it, when you think he is going to kill the Green Goblin, he holds up the glider. And he, Peter, he's going to throw it down and stab the Green Goblin with this. But Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, jumps in, holding back the glider I feel like that's a reference to when he held back the lighter or the glider in um the first Spider-Man, right? Mm-hmm. I, I remember that. Same I think kind yeah, because it, it seemed very familiar, but it also felt like where Andrew had to be the one to save MJ, Toby needed to be the one to stop him from killing the Green Goblin. I think it, it, they they each had a role to play, and that was specifically what they yeah. their Spider-Man needed to do. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point because in a way, I mean. Toby saved Peter or Tom there. Um, so Toby Maguire catches it and is holding it back. And Tom Holland is so angry. He's still trying to hit the goblin with it. Um, but he eventually calms down and lets go. But during this time, the goblin then stabs Toby. And he tells Tom Holland, Spider-Man, in a maniacal way that she, Aunt May, was there because of you. I have made, I may have struck the final blow, but you are the one who killed her. He's just poking the fucking bear. He is so such a fucking piece of shit. And Toby gets stabbed. We don't know if Toby's going to be okay. And Andrew throws the cure that they made for the Green Goblin, that uh, Toby Maguire Spider-Man, I didn't mention this earlier. He kind of makes a comment like he's been thinking of this for years, right? So however much time has gone by in his universe. Um, and Tom stabs Norman with the cure, finally defeating the Green Goblin. Norman Osborn, I guess, is all that's left. A lot to go through here, Peter. What do you got? I think this, it just showed, this whole movie shows how good Tom Holland is in this role, but this just, seeing him get to this, the brokenness, get him to this point where he almost does, you know, the unthinkable for the character. And he, I think it, it does it in a way that shows us that Peter Parker doesn't kill, whereas and it makes sense why he stops from killing him. Like it, it honors the character. It's similar to where, like I guess you could say, in Man of Steel, Superman never killed until that moment because he had no other choice. But here it shows mm-hmm. that there's always a choice for Peter. Peter's always able to do something. And him having the other Peters in a way that he has it, that he had the mentor role of Tony and then Mysterio in a warped sense. And then in this movie, he did have Aunt May, but he also had the Peters to remind him of who he is at the mm-hmm. end of the day, that he needed to help. He couldn't waver from that mission of trying to cure the villains. So they reminded him. And it was just such a well-done, exhausting culmination of how they took out the Green Goblin. And it needed to be that way. If you're going to have someone that's a villain, villain, through to the end, it's like, it, it yeah. did it delivered. I mean, in that fight scene... Just, just kind of quick between Goblin and Peter, though, there. I mean, that's right there with the Thanos fighting Cap when Cap has, like, mm-hmm. Neil near and Shield. Yeah. Like, just, it was really good, good shit, I thought. And um, Tom and Andrew, after Norman is subdued, um, they run to Toby, and he's going to be okay. So we don't need to worry about Toby McGuire. He is going to live. And, but we see above in the sky, the multiverse is cracking. You can it's see a like very weak multiverse of... in all honesty. If, <laughs> if so fucking weak. If everyone's able to uh, weaken it, then yeah. Yeah, if a simple spell like that can 
do that. That's kind of fucked up. But and we can see outlines of villains breaking through. I think we can kind of see like Craven, maybe, maybe the Scorpion. Hard to make out anything quite else, but. So basically what this means is if they don't do something like all these more villains are going to come through the multiverse and everything's going to go to shit. Um, and Tom Holland swings up to Dr. Strange and tells him he can't stop it. Like strange is like, I can't stop this. They're here because of you. And this is where Peter Parker makes the old, honestly, as big of a sacrifice as Iron Man did at the end of Endgame. It's right there. Yeah. He then says, what if everyone forgot who I was? Make everyone forget Peter Parker existed. Strange says, yeah, that would work, but he does not want to do that because of how terrible that would be. He's telling Tom Holland Spider-Man, like, everyone that knows you and everyone that loves you, they would have no memory of you. And he says, they, dot, 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 we. So Strange does love Spider-Man. And he, he looks up, like, not looks up to him, but he has great respect for how Spider-Man is. And yes, there have been ups and downs in this movie, but he doesn't want to put Tom Holland Spider-Man through this. This is a terrible fate. And um, Peter says, we have to do it, though. And Strange, he clearly has tears in his eyes. Like, he is fucking emotional by this shit. Cause, and that's unreal to see from Doctor Strange. Holy crap that this is affecting him that much. And he tells Tom to go say his goodbyes. And fuck, shit. Peter, what do we got? It's 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 interesting because it, it parallels him with um, Tony, where um, Doctor Str- where they're like, there's only one way to stop Thanos. So it's like Doctor Strange is again put in this situation where he has to help people, but the only way to help them is to have someone sacrifice themselves. And I, I, this is nitpicking the movie, but again, we are honest critics. It's like again, mm-hmm. this is Tom's Peter making decisions that are affecting everyone without consulting like the ones like MJ at the beginning of the movie told him if you're going to make any decision talk to us first but he's already decided the decision here he's gonna he's gonna let them forget who he is and ultimately I mean they'll still know that Spider-Man exists I had to like remind myself of this as I'm watching the movie so yeah. that I didn't get like lose it so like Spider-Man still exists just nobody knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man or who even Peter Parker is like He's, he's, he's no one so to see this interaction with Doctor Strange was it felt more authentic than the Doctor Strange um, Tony one but still it was very much you just know things are going in a very sad direction very quickly Do- and Stephen Strange is crying that, that tells you a lot I think that tells you again I think because it has such an implication for the MCU going forward which we will find out in minutes as this this starts to continue to unfold with the goodbyes that are fucking tragic yeah so he tom holland spider-man goes down to say goodbye to the other spider-man they hug fucking loved it um as tom says goodbye and swings back to mj and ned uh andrew asks toby if he's in a ton of pain and toby's like oh yeah i'm in a ton of pain right now um so those two that's the last time we interact with them for the movie fucking awesome to have that in it and so goodbye to them and then i mean i think this like the one of the nart like the ending of this movie is just banger scene after banger scene i think it starts probably it starts with like i mean shit the whole movie but specifically probably with the goblin and peter going at it and then from there 
when you go to Toby stopping it, to Doctor Strange crying, or not crying, being emotional, to them, to Peter saying goodbye to these two Spider-Men. And now Tom Holland, Peter Parker, is going to say goodbye to MJ and Ned. And this is, if you don't cry during this, you don't have a heart. It was so fucking sad. He he tells him bluntly, like, you're going to forget who I am. And they don't understand. And he says, it's okay. I'm going to come, and I'm going to find you, and I'm going to explain everything. I'm going to make you remember me, and it'll be like none of this ever happened. MJ is heartbroken. And Zendaya, I mean, she kills this whole performance, specifically this scene. The way that they slow burned the romance between her and Tom Hall and Peter Parker was unbelievable. It was so good how she got a little bigger role in each more movie to at this point, holy shit, I mean, we'll get to character grades in a little, but she was she was fucking fantastic. Zentai was amazing. It's just interesting, too, because like if you, like I, like I told you the other day, I was watching um, Far From Home um, to help my mom and sister get prepared for No Way Home. And you, you, you see the glimmers of it has a build as it builds. And just what she does here is, and when we get, like you said, when we get to character grades, it, does, it just obliterates in, in a very respectful way what we previously thought characters in this role could do. And just, she, she does it with such, she's, she's a movie star. There's no other way to put it. Like, she just literally just has this, emotional vulnerability to the character that just it it, it does it, it, it's hard even to comprehend it just so well done yeah mm-hmm. and feels just so right for this specific story too like you're not if you're gonna have a story where they're gonna forget that he's peter parker this is who you needed to be mj to really sell that point of like you need I mean, that was everything's relying yeah. on it doesn't it doesn't sell as well if that that relationship isn't as great as like you're saying. Um, we then see Ned and Peter do one last handshake and hug, um, which is heartbreaking. Ned's been with us the whole time. Um, MJ tells Peter that he better find her. And if she doesn't, she's just going to if he doesn't, she's just going to figure it out. Um, MJ tells him that she loves him. But before Peter can respond, he, she tells him to wait to tell her when they see each other again. Just another heartbreaking just moment. Just crying that, in the movie. It's like, why? Yeah. It's like, you don't think you're going to be crying in these movies. Yeah, and you're just fucking sobbing. They're so good. They finally get their big romantic kiss, and um, Stranger Spell, it begins to go through. The villains, the other Spider-Man, the breaks in the multiverse begin to disappear. The spell is complete, and no one will remember the existence of Peter Parker or that he was Spider-Man, obviously. MJ and Ned, they see Peter swing away. And we flash forward, maybe about a week, maybe a day. I don't really know. It's snowing. And Peter goes to see MJ at work for the first time after the spell. She doesn't recognize him. He sees Ned and her talking about how they got into MIT, which makes Peter very happy. And he, uh, he introduces himself to her, asks for a coffee. And he's just seeing how happy the two of them are bringing a smile to his face and he's ready to give the speech that he prepared to MJ that to like to tell her like he promised he would but then he notices a cut the bandage on her forehead and it reminds him of the danger that he can put the people he loves in this is the whole lesson from this trilogy 
is what happened with Aunt May. He's learning from his mistakes. He can't, he, and this bandage on MJ is a reminder that he, why would he go back to putting them in danger? Look at them now. She got into MIT. Her and Ned are happy. And while he does love them, if he loves them so much, he should want them to be safe. And so he decides to leave. And he doesn't tell her. And it's a very touching interaction, just the way they're looking at each other. And there's two things here. Because obviously, like, if Zendaya and MJ are going to Boston, you wonder, like, how would their relationship continue? Is it going to continue? I don't know. But there's two things that we can take from this scene that it might continue. One is she's wearing the black Dahlia necklace, the broken one that Peter got for her. How did she get that? What does she think? Did she think Spider-Man gave that to her? I'd love to know that. And then the other thing is, when he leaves, she noticed something. She's like thinking, MJ's very smart, or we're led, like told in this. So she noticed, I don't know, maybe if, as cheesy as the sound, if true love is like, can't be destroyed by magic or something. Like, didn't she seem like, there was like, I know something about that guy. Did you get that vibe? No, totally. I think there was definitely the wheels were turning. Because, I mean, she told him, she's like, if you don't tell me, I'll figure it out. And I think he forgets that in a sense, too, because he's, again, deciding for everybody else, like, how he's going to help them. Which is, again, which oddly enough mirrors Tony's, you know, his whole decision, you know, suit of armor around the world. Like, he makes these decisions because he's trying to protect people. So, in a sense, even though we are escaping the Tony shadow, there is still remnants of that in his character development. And so I think that scene really leaves the open-endedness of what is to come, hopefully, in the MCU. To go either. It, it's yeah. so open-ended. It's unbelievable. But I think that, again, she sells that and she leaves it with enough of, like, there's... I mean, the fact that he's like, hi, I'm Peter Parker. It's like, if you're going to coffee, you're not going to tell somebody your name. So because she is, like you said, a very smart person, this character of MJ things are starting to move in her mind for who is this kid. I really hope we get to see her again. I mean, we'll talk about this, but I thought, yes, they did wrap up her and Ned's arcs in this trilogy nicely, but I'm, I'm ready for more. I I, I would love to see how maybe the next movie that he's kind of far away, but they're still involved and eventually, but I mean, we'll speculate about that another time. Um, We then go to Peter at Aunt May's grave. And on Aunt May's grave, it says, when you help someone, you help everyone, um, is the message that she's been teaching Peter in this trilogy, specifically this movie. And Happy shows up, and he obviously does not recognize Peter. And they both say they knew May through Spider-Man. Happy compares this moment to losing Tony Stark. Um, and it is a nice scene of Happy. He's like, it's just like, he's wondering like if the things May and Tony stood for, are they able to be passed on and are they still stood for after they pass away and um peter very confidently says that the people who they affected and the people they helped will carry that on and happy doesn't obviously realize this but peter is the answer to both of those questions the two the two people who happy's like who's who's going to carry on my best friend tony's legacy who's going to carry on the love of my life may parker's legacy it's him and he has no idea, obviously, because of the spell. But Peter Parker is the one who take, carries on Tony's legacy, the one who will make the sacrifice for the greater good. And obviously he's carrying on Aunt May's with being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Help, when you help someone, you help everyone. Sorry, I just 
I thought that was good. What do you think about that? I mean, you summed it up perfectly. I think because it, it, again, it, it's like you're out of the Avengers Tony shadow, but still, he's still taking that role that we were teased at the beginning of when we first met mm-hmm. Tom Holland Spider Man. You know, and it makes them, it makes so much sense in a very different way that we would have thought that it would happen and progress. I mean, even how they poked fun of it when he was revealed that Peter was Spider-Man at the beginning of the movie, now it makes so much more sense in a way that, as you said, it honors Tony, it honors May, and it really sets him up in a way that this origin story of three accomplishes what one couldn't necessarily do for now what is to come and, and and just that scene with happy is such a, a perfect way to set it up too because happy was with him he was such a prominent figure and far from home and so now he doesn't even recognize him but still there's something there yeah and i mean just i said this already but just great scene after great scene in this closing it's the best closing scenes of an mcu movie ever i don't really think it's close um and then I mean, this final scene before we get to the credits is it's all time. It's, it's really like, as a Spider-Man fan, Tom Holland becomes Spider-Man in this scene. The Iron Boy Jr., Iron Man Jr., like all the, the, the stuff, the criticism of him, while I still enjoyed the movies, it was true. He wasn't truly Spider-Man in these movies. Yes, he was Peter Parker. Yes, he was trying to do the right thing, but... It wasn't that OG classic Spider-Man. This final scene's perfect. We see Peter move into a small, shitty new apartment, reminding us of Tobey Maguire's shitty apartment in those Spider-Men. Um, we see that he has a GED test book because no one knows who Peter Parker is, so he doesn't have his like academic records. So that'll be interesting to see how he deals with that. Um, he puts out the Emperor Lego. That was, uh, that was Ned's. The first time we ever saw Ned in these uh, Spider-Man movies, it was with the little uh, Emperor Palpatine lo- Lego in Homecoming. So he has that out on his desk as a memory of Ned. He also has the coffee cup from MJ's work. And we see that Peter has fully, fully become Spider-Man. He's listening to the police scanner. And he heads out in his new homemade knitted classic Spider-Man suit with the bright blue over the snowy NYC skyline. I'd like to point out that I bet you a reason with part of his new look is he saw like what other Spider-Man, the other Spider-Man didn't have like the iron suits. They had their homemade and we see him, him finally doing that. His sewing machine may can't do it for him anymore. And it's heartbreaking. But Peter Parker, that we finish the origin story of Peter Parker there, and he is now Spider-Man, the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, who is a nobody, who has no money, he has nothing, nobody, like, fucking god dang. This movie is unbelievable. I know I just... I mean, shit, guys. This was fucking crazy. This movie was so good. Uh, Peter, your thoughts on that ending, like, I, I mean, this this police scanner, like you said, the sewing machine, the apartment, the little nods to his to to, to Ned and MJ. It's just, and then to see him out there, it's like I didn't know that I needed to see that costume on him until then. Until you see it happening, and you're just like, oh my god! It it, it it felt like we're starting something. It didn't feel like we're ending. It felt like we just turned the page, and it's like here we go. It was it was glorious. It, it was it was 
it was such a cool moment to see because we've seen the, so many iterations of the costume, but now to see this one, it's like, there's, it just, it felt like we've just opened up a whole new world to play in. And mm-hmm. I, it does. I, it's, it's just, it was such a cool feeling to see on the, on the big screen. Like, mm-hmm. and I, it's just great to get that. Uh, there's nothing better than at the end of a Spider-Man movie, getting that swing through New York. And I, I liked getting that. Um, we have two post-credit scenes for this movie. We're not going to talk about the second one because it's basically a trailer for Multiverse of Madness. And when that comes out online, we'll do a pod about it. So we'll when the full one on comes that. out online, since obviously it was yeah. the full one. Uh-huh. Um, but the first post-credit scene, it's interesting. Venom, remember how at the end of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, he was Such transported. No, shut up. It was so bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the sarcasm, just unreal there. Um we see Venom in the MCU in Mexico somewhere. Uh, he's learning about Iron Man and Hulk, but then he is sucked back into his universe, presumably from the Doctor Strange spell. Um, however, he does leave behind a piece of the symbiote. So it would seem that Kevin Feige very smartly has been like, yeah, your Venom is not coming into the MCU. He can come for five seconds and we'll take some symbiote from him and tell Venom our own way, which thank God, Thank God. So that scene, um, obviously, so the, when he's at the bar, he's talking to the bartender who's played by um, uh, Cristo Fernandez from Ted Lasso. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Uh, Marley watches it. I sometimes watch it. I, I know like I like soccer. Marley, but you have it's, it's okay. the same level of like, sucks. you had when I didn't watch The Office. That's how I feel when you haven't watched that you haven't watched Ted Lasso. Like, it's it not was about soccer. football. I'd watch it. It's not about, that's, it's like a small, anyways. So again, soccer, okay, let me just say something really quick about soccer. There is no time. Like, you don't know when that game ends. There's this extra time bullshit, which is the stupidest thing in the history of sports. There you go. Uh, continue. Sorry, I just hate soccer. See, but all I, my friends love it. And so, like, I love it. I guess that it. makes sense why I'm friends with you, since I'm, as one of your friends, also enjoy soccer and, like, yeah, like all, all my friends love it, and I just like no, sucks. But continue. But anyway, so again, because I know these things as we've listened to the podcast. So obviously, my question is: Is he going to be Venom in the MCU? Because similarly to when I pointed out that like um, Kate Bishop's mom is played by Bear oh, Hermione, like uh, famous oh. people. So here we have someone who's actually very famous again, because I know this knowledge. Yeah. So are we going to have him <laughs> play? venom or at least a something sort of a vessel for venom because he, he is a, a big deal actor but don't you think they're gonna make venom peter's age i mean i'm happy how the symbiote's gonna get from mexico to new york so well the symbiote like he was talking about before he got sucked in like that he maybe he goes talk to peter parker in new york so maybe the symbiote does that i don't i don't know i'm really glad that it's not going to be the Tom Hardy Venom, even though I like Tom Hardy as an actor. I just don't like that Venom the way they do it. But I will say, like, I don't care for Venom. It they, they just are so obsessed with it. And I'm just like, give us different, like, give us some other characters before we get Venom again. I don't care too much for Venom. It's just like, I don't know. But in like, a sense, I, Venom I is also like the Joker of the MCU in the sense that people gravitate towards that character for some reason like you know it's just everything yeah, is but about the joker's that. cool 
Or, I mean, are you a fan of the Joker? I mean, yeah, but I also feel like it's overdone to a sense. Like, I feel like they just yeah. kind of, everything's kind of overdone. But it'll be interesting to see it's how we now have well. this. That's true. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I tried to remember. Yeah. That's a good point. But, yeah. yeah. So, so, interesting. We are. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm looking, we're at almost like two hours right now. So what I'm thinking is, because we could go another two hours on what we think will happen in the future. So we will table that part of this pod for next week, but we will finish. We're going to give out, obviously talk about all the characters, give out grades, and then um, any other thoughts we have about it and give it a rank and a grade. Does that sound good? I'm here for it, but yes. All right. All right. Character arcs, grades, and more. Tom Holland, Peter Parker. What do you got from a grade one to ten, Peter? Oh, easily a ten. I, I think where we've come from, from taking Cap's shield in Civil War to now, like ten. Like this is fully a solid member of the MCU. Who I want to see how we're going to integrate back into the Avengers because I want to see Spider-Man lead the Avengers at some point. But a ten. Yeah, I'm with you on a ton. He was the way he handled the. I mean, he's the angriest and saddest we've ever seen a Spider-Man on screen. So yeah, I would go Tom Holland ten out of ten. I would also give MJ Zendaya a ten out of ten. Easily, easily, and I think I just it's interesting. Like I said, I when I listened to our previous podcast, we we weren't as in supporters of MJ as Zendaya as MJ. You know, it wasn't our our goat. We originally were very much I'm a Stone Gwen Stacy goat of all love interest characters, female characters in Spider-Man universe. Mm-hmm. Yet after this movie, it's 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 not even a contest anymore. Like what Zendaya has done with her portrayal and yeah. growth from when you first meet MJ when she's looking at um Ned and Peter in Homecoming to now. It's leaps and bounds such an integral part of Peter's journey. And then such a heartbreaking end to it. So for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, next character we'll talk about is Doctor Strange. I will go ahead and give a I'll give Strange a nine out of ten. Or eight out of ten. Because I mean he I can't give everyone a ten. But I do think that the scene where he uh is very sad about Peter doing this. I thought that was very, very good. Um, so I was going to give him a, a, a six. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I mean, I felt like he he facilitated the story going forward, and he gave us more shades of who he is. And yeah, he he did have that great emotional moment, but I also felt like there's more to come with him. So I feel like I can't give him a nine or anything higher. Like yet, yeah, until I, let me let me see what he does going forward. So I'm going to be concerned mm-hmm. of six, seven. Yeah, I'll. I'll put mine down at eight um ned i'll go ned uh eight i thought he was good i he wasn't on the level of zendaya or tom holland but i thought he was good so seven eight yes yeah i mean i could give him an eight too just because i feel like this last one really stuck the landing for me and um Mm. i think yeah i think he is, is a very integral part to peter's journey that we've seen thus far yeah and then i mean here's another 10 Aunt May. Oh, I mean, yes. you, you do that great with great power comes great responsibility, and the way she did it, just 
as annoying as she was at times in this movie, like not the actor just for like wanting to do the right thing. She, I mean, she killed it as Aunt May. She was awesome and a 10 out of 10 from both of us. Yes. What do you got for Green Goblin? I mean, you gotta go with a 10. It delivered my yep, villain. The villain is, is, is evil, is evil. It's just, it's just, it delivered for me. I needed that for so long in these movies. Best MCU villain. I'm saying it. I could argue best, best villain, comic book villain at the moment. Do you not worship Heath Ledger's Joker? Because I'm willing to say that the Tom Holland trilogy is better than the Dark Knight trilogy, I will give the edge to what Green Goblin has accomplished in this okay. film. Interesting. Interesting. I would say he's the best MCU villain. I don't think anything will ever be, or nothing has beat Heath Ledger's Joker to me yet. Um, Andrew Garfield as Peter Three, Peter Parker. Um, I mean, shit, we're giving out a lot of tens. If you think we give out too many tens, folks, go listen to the Eternals review. A lot of not tens. Um, but Andrew Garfield's getting a ten. He, I think, is the big, almost the big winner out of this movie. Because, I mean, we'll talk about this on another pod, but like you mentioned earlier, there could be more amazing Spider-Man movies. Andrew Garfield could have a big role in the future of Spider-Man, and that's because of this great performance. So another 10 for our boy Andrew Garfield. Yeah, definitely a 10, just because it left me wanting more Andrew Garfield. Like, let's let's have more. Let's keep, like you said, keep him going. Keep. There's a reason he's trending on Twitter. There's a reason why his performance... It's, it's interesting, too, because it's so sad, but, like, not sad that his performance here eclipsed his like potential oscar nomination role in like tick tick boom which i'm sure yeah. he's great in. i haven't seen it yet but like this cameo performance has dominated the conversation about what his talent is and it's, it's a testament to that yeah um what do you got for uh toby yes love respect the character toby's the og spider-man i would do a nine just because i feel like it left me with like closure. Like I didn't feel like I need necessarily more Toby Spider-Man movies going forward. Maybe a cameo here and there in Doctor Strange too, mm. or you know, Secret Wars. But I it didn't have the same level of hype that Andrew had for me. So I would do a nine. I would go seven. Ooh. I liked I liked Toby in it a lot. I just don't think we got as much. But, I mean, that's not like I mean we're looking at this movie like. Not everyone's going to get a 10, so Toby's like at a 7 or 8. He was good, but he wasn't, he didn't have a big of a impact, I guess. Like, because his impact was mainly just fucking seeing him. It was like, holy shit. So I'll give Andrew the edge on him there. Uh, Doc Ock. I'm torn with Doc Ock because I think he was great. It was great to see him back. He does become a hero, kind of, which I'm not a giant fan of, even though I get why it happened. It's like, he's Doc Ock. He should be a villain. So I'll give Doc Ock, like, a seven. Good to see him back. I, I would say just an eight, because I feel like Alfred Molina, kind of, just his, his performance in the role kind of pushed it closer to an eight for me. So I would say an eight, just because, again, he sold it. He sold the complexity of the character, going from villain to hero, even though, That's like, okay, he's becoming a hero. But, yeah. Happy. Nine. Yeah, nine. Just because we went through him, he wasn't in the movie a whole lot, but he definitely he he's part of Peter's journey. He's he had that the, scene where he, he gets the, arrested. 
it's just it's not it's brutal it's it's like he can't even process may's death because he's being arrested trying to get spider-man yeah. like he's got he can't catch a break yeah tough times for happy uh what did you think of jamie fox's electro i'm gonna go with uh let's do a seven seven i just i thought he was rad i think from if the rumors are true it's setting up he's gonna get a similar venom type Morbius vibe movies in a sense is what I'm hearing so I could see I felt like he was much more cooler in this than he was but at the same time he was more closer to Jamie Foxx I guess as this Electro so you know yeah I'll go I'll give him a six I thought I thought he was good but I thought like I don't know he wasn't perfect like I, I thought the the redesign of him was cool but they didn't explain it in the best way so I'll give him a six. And a, a reason for that six is there's just so many high scores in this movie that not everyone can get it. Um, Lizard, uh, two. I would what say did a he three. bring? Just, well, he added the chaos of... He added chaos. I mean, he added chaos when he broke out of the van and messed up during the Peter Goblin fight. And then he chased Ned and um, yeah. MJ. So I would give him a three. You know, it's just, It was never a fan favorite me in that movie anyways. Like, it was just, eh. Same yeah. with Sandman. I would just, I mean, Sandman just—he had closure. Like I, I, I don't. I, yeah, we're like he, one or two for Sandman. <laughs> didn't yeah. need it. I mean, same grade. I, I didn't like him in, in Spider-Man Three either. It just not. It didn't work. Spider-Man Three just had too way. many villains going on, so everybody suffered. Yeah. Um. J. Jonah Jameson, smaller role. I mean, I'll go eight, seven, eight. Like, I mean, he fulfilled. He does his role. There's not much else he does, but. Six, just because I feel like it, we're probably gonna get more of him in the next trilogy. So I feel I'm gonna go like... five. Actually, I'm gonna okay. jump down three points because he wasn't as good as he in the Toby. Toby, he's better, right? Yeah, I feel like here. I think here it was trying to make. I think the problem was we were leaning more into like let's make him Alex Jones. Yeah, or like Fox News pundit type vibe of like alarmist. Yeah, and I get what they're trying to do, and it was just kind of like, just just make him J. Jonah Jameson. A little hard, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Uh, I mean, Flash, what What do we think of Flash? Yeah, four, I guess. I mean, he just, he kind of served his purpose again. Him was just, like, helping us move the story along. Like, I don't think, I don't think he, I think he got kind of closured and was like, okay. Yeah. Um, can you? Okay. So those are all the characters we'll go through. Um, we'll have a f- another pod in a week or so, or maybe less than that. We'll talk about the future of the Spider Man. But we were going. We were going to end it. End it right now with uh, our grade for this movie and where it ranks in the MCU. I mean, I think if you've listened to this whole pod, you have a sense of where we're going with this ranking and score. Peter, here's what I'll have you do. I want you to first talk to us about how much money this movie is making. And then give us your grade and rank in the MCU. All right. Let me slip on my reporter voice. So Spider-Man No Way Home. um, Well, currently it's just right now it's charting the this morning the news broke that it charted the, the best the third best monday ever Jesus. right behind um number one is black panther and number two is um star wars force awakens 
But um, as far as opening weekend, the box office numbers. Are it opens to two hundred and sixty million dollars, cementing it in second place behind the three hundred and fifty-seven that was Endgame, which makes sense. You know that wasn't a pandemic world. That was also I distinctly remember going to the theater and every single screen was showing Endgame. Like nothing else was showing besides Endgame. But yeah. so this one has 260, which puts it ahead of, you know, Force Awakens and ahead of the number three spot, which is Avengers Infinity War. So it easily pulled that off. And I mean, the fact that Tom Holland is in three of the top four grossing movies of all time and this movie, it, it makes sense. It's why it's number two. It showed people. And they didn't have Andrew Toby theaters. in the trailers. And it, and, it's, and it worked all the better for not having it. And it didn't matter that the plot had leaked several times. It didn't matter that pictures leaked, that everything contributed to this movie just being a juggernaut at the a box office during a pandemic, first of all. And the fact that it's, 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 it's Monday and it's still going, it's going to dominate throughout the rest of Christmas. I don't see anything, what, this thing too, or the Matrix going to challenge it. I don't think so. I don't think no. it's... Because it just invites rewatching over and over. Because you see new things and new details. And, I mean, I saw Avengers in theaters ten times, I think, was how many times I ended up seeing it. So I don't... I wouldn't be surprised if I get close to it with this one. Just because uh, I have to take family that hasn't gone to see it yet. I have to drag them to see it. Yeah, I have to see it a couple times. But, but yeah, it's a very healthy box office movie. My concern, I guess, from the outside is like, yes, it shows that Spider-Man, Tom Holland continues to work. It's just, it's just, it casts this shadow over Tom Holland as an actor where it's like, how can he back continue this outside of Spider-Man? You know, because he is, as is he going to be a lead? Yeah, yeah, I've got something to say about that. We've seen uh, like all these reports of like, yeah, Tom Holland doesn't want to get typecast into Spider-Man. He has other desires. Shut up. You get to be Spider-Man, dude. Fuck off. It's my dream. You're going to be Spider-Man, and you're going to be like, I don't want to get typecast into Spider-Man. No, you're... Well, first of all, too late. You're already typecast into Spider-Man for the rest of your life. That's legit. Like, unless he took 15 years off from acting and then came back and looked... Because I don't think there's anyone else... I mean, similarly, you could argue that... And like if I like Gal Gadot, like I, if I see her in any other movie, it's still Wonder Woman. Like you can't, she can't yeah. escape that anymore. Like you can't. Tom Cruise is always going to be Ethan, Mission Impossible. Like you can't change that anymore. You're stuck in those roles. I mean, you're not stuck, but you you embody something so well, it's hard to not be that character. Yeah. So again. he should really. I love Tom Holland, but he should really shut up about that because, <laughs> dude, you get to be Spider Man. And like, shut up. Like, please. Um, and I think, if anything, he should look at Andrew Garfield, who, what he would definitely have been Spider Man and not said that sort of stuff. And I don't know. I just think Tom Holland should fucking play Spider Man for as long as we want him to because you're Spider Man. You're making, you're in three of the highest grossing movies of all time. 
you're making a fuck ton of money. You can still afford to go do like you get hired and other stuff. Yeah, it sucks that you're recognized as Spider-Man. Deal with it. Like, what? What are we? But doing? I also think that it's also part of the negotiation of it all. I think that's part of why there's all these workings that have to go on where they can't fully like say how much they want to do things. But because, like, you go, you watch the interviews. He's grown up wanting to be Spider-Man, so it's like I don't. I think it's just part of the Marvel. Like, oh, we're we're not sure if he's coming. But then they're like, oh, we are developing. Like, don't worry, guys, it's happening. Yeah. So, so. I'm sure there's still more to come with Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Yeah, for sure. What do you got? Um, so, MCU ranking is it? So, MCU ranking is, 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 is we when we do our ranking, we always exclude Endgame, Infinity War, Avengers from the movies because it's like you can't really compare them. However, this movie fully, fully yeah. put everything in the ranking. The entire twenty plus movies, series, all that stuff. Number one, it, it, you can't not have this number one. Yeah, it's the best by far. The second to me is differs. probably Infinity War, but I mean, this is this is just on a different level. I mean, shit, like you mentioned, we usually don't include Infinity War in this stuff. If you do that, about, think about how much better this is than any other solo movie ever. Jesus Christ. I mean, people who say Civil War. It's like, better than right. Ragnarok. It's better than yeah, Winter Soldier. Yeah, and, um, it's, and, it's, and for to be saying that, you and to be such a Marvel purist, like, you know this movie just did just what it needed good. to do. It's that good. Um, and so, yeah, for me, number one ranking as well. I mean, and, and a 10 out of 10. Like, I know we've given a lot of 10s today, and you might be like, well, what's the point of this? Listen to any of other recaps, because I shit on stuff. I fucking hated Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The Flag Smashers sucked. WandaVision didn't give me Doctor Strange. Eternals was a shitty movie. And Shang-Chi was okay. Like, we do shit on stuff. This movie, though... We keep it real. It's not one of those things. It's just, I'm not going to try and give you a... Oh, I'll give it a 9 because this little thing... But No, it's 10 out of 10. It's the best Marvel movie. It's a fucking great movie. I rewatched it, and I'm going to keep rewatching it. It's, It's a great film, and fuck... Like, I don't get why you wouldn't rank this number one. How many times do you... You're, it's it's everything a Spider-Man fan could dream of. It's hypocritical of us as such huge Spider-Man fans. Of course, it's our number one favorite. Like, 10 I don't out even 10. think Doctor Strange 2 would, would beat it. I don't think that's possible There's no chance. Because it, I don't think so. And it's funny because I texted a friend who, and I was like, have you watched the movie yet? And he responded, Infinity out of 10 was his level of grading the movie. And I was like, that's the perfect way to describe it. Like, yeah. because... You don't get better than you don't get better than this. It's, it's, it's the mix it's, of sadness and fan service, and, and joy, and just—it's just, it, truly, it's just truly a great fucking movie. And um, it was very sad. I do think that that should be noted. It's a sad movie. It is sad, but I mean. We are looking forward to more Spider-Man. We are at um, almost as long as the movie itself right now and the way we've been talking about it. Uh, So we'll leave you guys with this. Spider-Man 4 with Tom Holland, like Peter mentioned, is in development. And there is a big movement online for to make the amazing Spider-Man 3. Um, And there's rumors that Andrew Garfield is going to be around. Maybe do a couple movies, maybe with Sony, maybe MCU, I'm not sure. And it is said that uh, Tobey Maguire was supposed to die 
in that stabbing sequence. But after shooting it and realizing how much fun they had, Kevin Feige had him live, potentially, so the Spider-Man could maybe appear in, I mean, hey, maybe Multiverse of Madness or Secret Wars. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that Toby shows up in there. Well, that'll be awesome. Hopefully Wanda doesn't fucking kill him. So there's a lot to come in next in our next Spider-Man podcast, but also we've also got the upcoming okay. finale of Hawkeye, which is another one that's just going to jam a bunch of things into it, and it's also rated a little bit higher than the other ones, like it's TV 14 instead of just yeah, whatever like they regularly are. It's like an hour or two, so it'll be a little bit more violent, a little bit more storytelling and setups, and a lot of what will happen. So stay tuned for that one. Yeah, that'll be good. Um... Wait, is today Tuesday? Oh, shit, it's tonight. It's tonight, yeah. Fuck. All right. Well, I have to go to the fucking dentist at four, so I have something to look Again? forward to. Yeah, it's, I... Uh, That's fuck a whole thing. I hate the dentist. Um, wow. Well, Peter, I am certainly glad that we did a Captain America review podcast about a year and a half ago, because what a wonderful journey it has been on in the MCU, starting with WandaVision, and then all the way to the lead up to Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, we're going to keep doing this every week, folks. we got Hawkeye. We're going to talk some more Spider-Man. We're going to start getting ready for Multiverse of Madness. A little uh, Moon Knight, hopefully. Uh, a big year of Marvel in the future. Um, and Spider-Man, what a movie. Peter Four. It's been, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Likewise, likewise. I look forward to many more Marvel, and then I look forward to, I guess, our own multiverse as we delve into Star Wars coming up soon, too. Shit. That's <laughs> next week, too. Fuck. Boba's on Christmas, right? I think so. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, you're going to we'll hear be a back lot soon. from us. I thought I was like, man, Spider-Man's done. Got a little break. Nope, we don't. We don't. We got I a lot out tonight, and then Boba in four days. So, we will be back, uh, Peter, have a great rest of your Tuesday. You too. Great power comes great responsibility. God bless, folks. We'll see you next time.